and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and you're listening to the 27th episode of the show. Uh, just before we start today, I wanted to quickly mention that the show has a Patreon page um, because some people have been asking me about how to support the show recently. So I just wanted to mention that it has had a Patreon page for a while now, and I will admit it slips my mind all the time and I forget to update it quite constantly. So I do apologize for that. But there are quite a few people who do know, who do donate every month, and I just wanted to say huge thanks to you guys. Uh, I'm so incredibly appreciative. Uh, and if you do potentially deem this podcast worth monetary value or want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash final games. Your support goes an incredibly long way, like the mic I'm using right now was bought with the money from Patreon. Um, other than that, I would not be able to afford such things. Uh, so it goes a long way to improving the quality of the show and helping to keep it on this weekly schedule that it's on so thank you to all of you for your support and consistently listening now begging aside my guest this week is a guest who seems to have done a little bit of everything he's worked in pr as a radio show host a freelancer a community manager and he's currently a news writer Starting his games career at Official Nintendo Magazine as a news editor he's also worked as a news editor and then community manager for Official Xbox Magazine He's also a regular on former guest Matt Lee's Dash Souls podcast and many other podcasts as well, including the hilarious Chat Very Good pod. But you probably know him now for his excellent news work at IGN, where in March of this year he became the UK news editor for the site. My guest today is the lovely Mr. Joe Scrabbles. Hello, Hello, Joe. Hello. Oh my gosh, that was very kind. <laughs> oh no, how are you doing today? I'm excellent, thank you. I'm looking forward to dissecting my loves and feelings and then maybe breaking down and crying as I remember all my childhood memories it's gonna be great yeah because you have a, a very a very good list a list I saw I was like hmm for a deserted island this is a this is a really well-rounded list of maybe good nostalgia overall very good games and some games that you could potentially play for a very long time as well well exactly I've yeah well I guess we'll get into it later but I kind of um I've tried to I've tried to theme it around like what I'd actually need, which was horrible because it means I had to leave behind loads of games that I really like, but just wouldn't be useful <laughs> to me. I need use. Practicality is what it's all about. <laughs> well, you are here to talk about the eight games, but before that, Ooh. let's talk a little bit about you then. So, okay, I like you that. are cu- yeah, you are currently IGN's uh, UK news editor, mm. um, but you've been writing about games for a few years now. Uh, you started, if I'm correct, at Official Nintendo Magazine. Yes. How did you sort of get into that role? And uh, what sort of drew, drew you to talking about games? Luck and a, just a sort of boorish personality that just managed to convince everyone that I should be there. It was <laughs> like, the, the, the way I got into games is so stupid. And this, um, presumably this is the same for everyone. There's always a ludicrous story attached to it because it's just not a normal career path in any way. Um, no, not so, really, no. <laughs> so I I just, well, I really wanted to be a music journalist for years. And that's where I, like, I did music PR. I worked for a record label. I did all sorts of music-y things. And I, that was all student newspaper stuff. Um, and then when I left uni, I was just sort of, like so many people, just living in a room at my parents' house and desperately wishing that someone would want to hire me. And during the course of that, <laughs> Um, I found out, firstly, that everyone in the music business, barring maybe four people, uh, is a total asshole. And um, then uh, I got... I, th- I think I was just really bored one day, and I wrote a community blog for Destructoid, which got front-paged. And then 
and a few weeks later, I just emailed John Hicks, ex of official Xbox magazine, and asked if they did work experience because I couldn't be bothered to look it up myself. <laughs> and he said, yes, and you were on Destructoid, so you can come in and do a week. And then while I was there, uh, Steve Hogarty, who is excellent, um, left Official Nintendo Magazine and just over lunch one day said, I oh, should totally apply for that staff writer job that's going to be there because I'm leaving. And that's how I got in, which makes no sense. Uh, I didn't, you know, I kind of wanted to do it all the time and have loved video games my whole life, but I never had any particular burning desire to be and sort of fell into it and then realised that it's brilliant and it's the best thing that I've ever done. So it's stupid. <laughs> the sort of image I have in my head is, is of you just walking around dazed and confused while all these things automatically happen around you. Worst and you, ludicrous and you just business. End, like, you mean, just end up getting walked to a desk and you're like, okay, so this is yours now. And you're like, oh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of odd. Um, you know, I, this, this is, I'm kind of willfully ignoring the fact that, you know, I desperately wanted to be a writer and I've written my whole life. But, yeah. you know, it was never with a goal in mind which i guess is probably the same for many people you just sort of find out what you like and then just hope that it works out <laughs> uh yeah so i'm so yeah I, I remember listening to gav's story and it was super inspiring it's all about how you know he came in he's done all these amazing things and worked with all these amazing people and i feel really bad that mine's just essentially like yeah i sort of did it <laughs> so I exist yeah there does seem to be that divide a lot of people have like uh a lot of people I've interviewed on the show have been like, yeah, it's a combination of like luck and being in the right place at the right time mm. and all that sort of stuff. And there are some people like Gav who did work hard to get or, or were asking the right people and that kind of thing. But a lot, a lot of it does come to down to luck. I think more and more now, I think now with so many people wanting to be writers or freelancers mm. and that kind of thing, it's a lot more based on your who you know and your talent. As well. Oh, absolutely. Well, come on, it's based on my talent as well. Um, no, it was. It, I agree. Like, I mean, I've only been. It's not like I'm some weird old veteran man with medals on my chest telling this story from a leather back chair. Like, I'm, you know, I've only been around for five years. But even in that time, I think. I don't know. You you get the sense that maybe it's just because I'm on the other end, but you get the sense that people really want to be in this, which is awesome because that's only going to make the quality of the you know, the writing better and the quality of the industry and the, the, the diversity of it. It's um, it's a really interesting place because obviously, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was just full of like nerds in like crappy, like just outside of London offices, desperately hoping that someone reads their magazine. Whereas now it's kind <laughs> of this mad business, which is good and bad. It's nice. I like it. <laughs> well, you- well, you've sort of seen the two sides because you've gone from being on a magazine, which um, mm. obviously we look at the the UK magazine now. We've got a few, a lot less magazines than we used to. But mm. We have those standouts like Edge, Games TM, Games Master, OPM, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you've gone from being on a magazine publication mm-hmm. to now being like a daily uh, website that has to be constantly updated and yeah. all that sort of stuff. How has that change gone for you? Uh, I mean... So I was never in like the very senior roles on a magazine. So actually the way that I've worked hasn't changed too much. I mean, I have to be more reactive than I ever had to be before. Um, okay. But the day-to-day of being like a jobbing writer, as far as I can tell, is essentially being told either by the internet zeitgeist monster or an editor 
what you have to write and then just writing it. <laughs> it's not like a super complex thing. Now, that's not to say there aren't massive differences in how you deal with both of those things. I, I, I love both of them. I, I desperately miss magazine writing in many ways. For one, the luxury of being able to go, I'm going to write this feature in three weeks and just plugging, you know, doing a tiny bit every day until it turns into something you want it to be. Um, so often you don't have that ability on on the internet but then by the same token being able to just write something and put it out there and immediately get a response um particularly with you know being able to do video and podcasts and that kind of thing it's really gratifying um and i think it improves you quicker i think it's harder to i think i think working on a magazine was brilliant for my craft because i worked under amazing people who dedicated themselves to a product and it really teaches you how to create something that's right for the situation um i i I don't think have you had matthew castle on the show yet i'm not sure i was gonna say the trifecta will be complete Uh, we've had gav we've had you and i am currently talking to matt yeah about coming onto the show as well Well, so so matthew castle was my sort of longest serving boss he was my boss on official nintendo magazine for the bulk of my time there and uh official xbox magazine as well and i mean that man is unbelievable, like just, you know, amongst the best ever and is criminally undersung. Um, and working under him and having that person who just knows how everything works and has a plan, he just always has this like cone vision of like exactly where something needs to go, whether that's the article or the magazine itself and or, you know, the shape of something. Um, yeah. And that's really helped my writing. Um, plus... Like he really likes fart jokes, and that's great. Um, <laughs> that's a dying art. Um, and yeah, it's just it, that was fantastic having that kind of that sort of single vision of something. Where and I've done it. I think I've done it the right way around by moving onto the internet after that because I bring some of that feeling of craft to everything. But I just have to do it much much quicker and about as many things as possible. Um, it's exciting. It's really cool. And yeah, I'm I was kind of getting. Say that- yeah. For example, such as like yesterday, uh, there was the sort of news that No Man's Sky, someone had got hold of a copy of that. Mm-hmm. And I imagine like a game like that, which is for some reason wanted by almost everyone on the internet, mm. there is this all, already rabid fan base. So that is a game that I imagine draws in a lot of views to uh, articles and news reports mm-hmm. about games like that. And with that like dropping and there are going to be this whole flurry of spoilers and videos and various sources all over the internet of people leaking information mm. do you sort of be like oh i wish i was on a magazine for this I, this seems like too much to keep up with i or mean do you sort of relish well, it, like it, it, getting it hold both, of everything yeah it cuts both ways i mean the, the the again the beauty of the magazine is that you have often you have you know close to a month to really think about something and if you're writing on deadline that's incredibly stressful for everyone including you know the art department fucking hate you but if you're (laughs) writing on deadline you've had that much time to luxuriate and think and and form something um and yeah to an extent like that incredibly reactive coverage can be a negative personally but then you've got to remember that the reason that those things draw clicks it's sort of this, this strange opinion amongst you know weirder corners of the internet that like making something that people want to click on is bad like we've gone past (laughs) we've gone past like clickbait being mis-selling something which is obviously bad but writing a headline that people want to click is now 
like sort of considered dirty for some reason for some it's people. Re- it's strange you bring that up because last week i had jason Schreira of kotaku on oh yeah obviously you know and being at kotaku already sort of comes with the territory of being targeted i think mm-hmm. ign is very much the same as well by some oh yes <laughs> exactly and um there is this sort of stigma behind these clickbait type articles and or and it is very strange because jason was explaining well we try to make articles with titles that you want to click on because that's our job to do so, but without trying to make them seem like the seedy, underbelly type stuff that people have a problem with. Of course. And it's hard yeah. to strike that balance. I See, I don't know how hard it is to strike that balance. Jason's an incredible writer and knows more than I will ever know about news writing uh, about games, but to me it's... I I bulk at the idea that like if I write something interesting in a headline about No Man's Sky that that for some reason is ba- like if it's it, I, I don't know it's hard to pitch I I just have this weird problem with and again this is probably magazine journalism talking because you have a front cover to tell people to buy something and that is nothing that's no space at all you've got to make things as exciting as funny as weird as interesting as possible like a cover is the ultimate clickbait uh, because <laughs> because I, I remember growing up as a kid like being like holy shit uh you know i don't know name what's an old game that people liked fear effect if fear effect was on a cover <laughs> and i was like let's oh god i really want to see that and it would turn out to be a one-page preview yeah um you know <laughs> i know exactly that, what you mean <laughs> that felt horrible but that's just how it works like I don't know. I, I'm probably being the bad guy on the internet now. But I just, I don't have... As long as I'm not going, there is no Man's Sky details in this article, and there aren't, then <laughs> I am I feel like it's fine. Um, I, I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel terrified now that I've sort of opened myself up as some sort of monster that I didn't realise. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I can't even remember what we were talking about properly. But basically, yes, moving from magazines to internet is really interesting and fun and great. Just like everything in this job, it's so easy to slip into complaining about stuff um, when actually, basically, I feel kind of brilliant all the time. Because I'm doing something so ludicrous and stupid and wasteful <laughs> with my life. <laughs> and that's well, that, working. Well, that's excellent. And that is the exact attitude you need for this show, where we are going positively, to uh, positively talk about video games. Yes. Because there is a bit too much negativity about video games out there for some reason, even though we all love video games. Well, so, yeah. Joe, we are here to talk about your eight games now. Mm. And uh, you have a very, really, as we said, diversive list, but really does sort of... Um, help with dealing uh, with being on a deserted place or yeah. a deserted island. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna start talking about your video games now that you've chosen. Uh, and the first game I have no idea about. So <laughs> let's listen to some music uh, from this next game and let's talk about it. Thank you. 
So kicking off your list today, Joe, is a game that um, was a part of the era of the original free-to-play titles, the open-source games that people used to just shareware around on PC. It was a game developed by a studio called Pumpkin Studios and published by IDOS Interactive, of all things. It was on multiple systems, um, surprisingly enough PlayStation, even though it was an open-source game, and Windows and Macintosh and Linux. It's a strategy game, a real-time strategy game that had single-player and multiplayer. It's called Warzone uh, 2100 or Mm. 2100. (laughs) Is that a year, I imagine? (laughs) Uh, Yes, I believe it is. (laughs) So, Joe, I have no idea about this game. Why have you chosen this game to take with you, and what's it all about? All right, so... Let me preface this by saying that my list is split broadly into two categories, nostalgia and practicality, because I think the two things you need are on the desert island are things to do and ways not to go insane. Um, so this sits in the nostalgia camp. Let me tell you, Warzone 2100 is a game I barely remember, but has incredible emotional significance for me, so it had to go <laughs> first on the list. Um, what I remember of Warzone 2100 is that I was a very recent... Uh, PS1 owner and I had been taken on a trip to Toys R Us and I saw a game with a red cover and a big silhouette of a tank on the front and I bought it because of that. Uh, I had no (laughs) idea what it was. From my vague memory, uh, you choose one of three uh, sort of forces and the hook of the game, which I still really love the idea of to this day, is that you customise and build your own tank units for an RTS So there's this sort of strange um, micro detail that you then bring to the battlefield that you've created yourself. Um, And actually, like, as I imagine happens to all people, there were so many games that I had to leave off this list. And one of them that really sprung to mind was uh, another nostalgia game was Armored Core 2, which I got obsessed with with my friends. And for much the same reason, the, the stupid amount of detail and finesse of creating a mech is sort of reflected in this. Yeah. Um, So... That's all I remember about Warzone 2100. I think I was shit at it, uh, and I think me and my brother probably sold it quite quickly to buy something else. But (laughs) the profound effect it had on my life was that for some reason, um, the name got stuck in my head, and the sort of post-apocalyptic setting uh, was really interesting to me. And so I guess I was nine or ten, and at school I started... Basically, we called them talking games. Um, We were just like nerdy kids who didn't have access to video games whilst we were at school. So at lunchtime, we would go out and do spoken word versions of video games for each other. So like when Pokemon first came out, one of my friends just did Pokemon, but as a spoke, like essentially a a role playing game. Um, I I mean, kids are... (laughs) without phones are dead <laughs> beings like i'm so glad that kids have ipad now ipads now because they do stupid I even, shit i was i was gonna say how so so give me an example of how this worked then so it was essentially your... like yeah he uh, my friend would go if for pokemon because warzone is a different thing uh for pokemon he'd be like you're walking through some grass and now there's you're being attacked by a rat, and he'd always forget all the names as well, and all the like <laughs> all the moves because he just got it. It was like I think he'd got it from America, so it wasn't out in the in the UK yet. So we had no idea what he was talking about. It was like there's a, a fire lizard, it does ember, and you just kind of go along with it. Uh, it was really stupid. Like there was no basis or rules. It sounds to it. like it sounds like D and D. Yeah, no, that's essentially it. We were sort of proto role playing. 
uh, without any knowledge of what that meant or any sort of game design knowledge. So it was just rubbish. But the thing, <laughs> the thing about Warzone is, for some reason, I started playing it with my friends, and uh, the game, as far as I remember it, was essentially uh, I would. They were all the different factions. And they would stand apart from each other in the playground. So they couldn't talk. And they'd like plan their turns. And then I'd go to the next person. They'd plan their turn. And then at the end of it, I'd sort of resolve everyone. Uh, Obviously, being like a fickle child, I would engineer situations constantly to favor the people I liked most. And (laughs) and it was such an unfair game. I remember like a, a kid annoying me once. And I just said he'd be nuked. And he asked by who. And I was like, oh, it's a secret. And he was just out of the game. I didn't want him to play anymore. It's just really cruel. Um, but for some reason, I like. I mean, this shows um, the soft schooling that I got. Uh, for some reason, this became like a miniature phenomenon, and like sporty kids and kids who would never talk to me started playing the game until I had like twelve-person games of my fake. Warzone role-playing game, um, <laughs> and like for like a week or two, I was like, you know, I was basically I was popular commander. as this like weird, like creepy dungeon master kid who just, uh, yeah, was like doing this post-apocalyptic <laughs> role-playing game, um, and just the memories of that make me really happy because it's such a stupid thing to do and the fact that it took off is mad. I can't believe I wasn't beaten to a pulp. Um, so yeah, that's why did, Warzone's did on it, there. Did it get to the point though, uh, obviously you sort of rigged the games. Were you rigging it so all the sporty kids would win so they'd like you as well? Oh no, they lost. Those kids lost hard. <laughs> like, you I mean, were playing with fire. You I know. <laughs> like, I, um, I went to a, a very. This is an unusual thing. I went to a very nice school, and peop, there wasn't really much bullying. It didn't really happen. So, I, you know, I'm kind of making a joke about the sporty kids versus nerds things. Most of them were my friends anyway. But it's just one of those weird things. Where just, just because they're not as nerdy as us, they get punished. Like, yeah, it was very strange. <laughs> but yeah, just have incredibly fond memories of what, like this video game for absolutely no reason. I feel like it deserves to be on my list just for nostalgia's sake. And I bet it was quite good. Like it got released on so much stuff. It got well, from what I can tell, I can, it got quite good I can reviews. tell you. I can tell. IGN gave it a 7.5. Oh, that's not bad. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, that's um, pretty good. There was yeah. supposedly there was a crowdfunding campaign for the for an iPad port. Did you know? Do you know? I did about not that? know that. No, I mean, I, like I said, I kind of put this on sight unseen just because I have fond memories of it. <laughs> so you probably know more about Warzone than I do. <laughs> well, there was a map editor as well. Did you? Oh. Did you sort of use that, or is that? I think is I, that a deserted island type thing? You, you can spend know. hours making maps for all your friends. Well, that's yeah. I don't know. I think I probably. I probably did use it and stuff. Like, I just remember, I have very vague memories of me and my brother playing it, but I'm not entirely sure what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just really <laughs> liked building loads of different tanks. That was definitely my major interaction with it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Warzone. It's a bit strange. It's a, it's a strange kid thing, isn't it, where customising things and actually setting things up is always way more fun than actually playing the initial game. Oh, absolutely. And especially, like, those old games, like... Most of them were dog shit. <laughs> like, the idea of like what the outcome of those customizations is, I I I'm almost positive that it was like basically meaningless. Um, 
but it, it, there is something intoxicating about creating something. I remember me and my brother having huge discussions about which Final Fantasy games we liked based on the ones that showed the equipment that you equipped. Because so many games didn't used to do that. Yeah. And it really bothered me. I remember me. when there was that sort of revolution where all of a sudden games showed you what armor you were wearing that you yeah. chosen you. And it was And fantastic. it was like, oh my god. And then everyone went mental about customizing stuff. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I, re- I remember spending hours playing WWF No Mercy for the N64. Oh, what just a for game. the fact that I could customize my own wrestlers and make my own wrestlers. Yeah. I never, I mean. I never actually used them to wrestle because they were shit. Compared to like <laughs> the professional wrestlers, but just spending hours making people that look like low poly dog shit versions of like my friends mm. <laughs> was was a lot more fun than actually doing the wrestling. Part. Was that weird thing of like those really weird flat faces that you used to get on those things, where it's just like a polygon with some details? It's good. I actually I have really vivid memories of playing. Um, oh, what was it called? Tony Hawk's Underground, and that game had like put your face in the game tech but you had yeah, to take a yeah. picture of your face and email <laughs> yeah. it Wait, was it an email or was it like a really crap upload service there was a and way then, you had to do it with the you had the playstation 2 camera didn't you and then yeah. it had to go th- it had to go to a service i yeah. think i'm not sure what that service was and, and then, then it wasn't got- it wasn't even like immediate i think you had to wait like a day for it to come back <laughs> it was mad <laughs> Um, and yeah, I just remember playing Tony Hawk's Underground with this like horrible, like homunculus version of me, <laughs> just like <laughs> skating around this crap town with my horrible flat face. It was brilliant. You're like, you're like, mum, 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 look, 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 it's me. And what am I looking at? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, look, look, it's me. That also, for some, anything like you, <laughs> for some reason, I don't remember why. I'm pretty sure, like, because me and my brother shared everything for most of my childhood. Yeah. I'm fairly sure we only played with me. I don't know why we wouldn't have uploaded his face as well. Like, I don't know whether our parents were like, well, our modem costs are high, so you can only have one face. <laughs> and I just went, yeah, well, I'm older, so let's go for it. Um, yeah, that was, that wow. was very good. But yeah, that was what? such a... Just having your face in a game was ludicrous. I, I just couldn't believe it. The kids these days, they don't know what they've got, do they? They don't know they're born using their Prismas <laughs> and their Instagrams. They could do anything. <laughs> Well, that's an excellent start to the island. I think I think you'll have some fun reminiscing with that on uh, exactly. the deserted island. I think it would just make me feel happy and like an inner glow just remembering how I <laughs> won the world for a week <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> and now the crippling loneliness yeah, exactly. being on the a deserted one, island. The one true moment of power in my life. I can just reflect on that. It was that'd be nice. That's my that's <laughs> that's why Warzone's on there. Excellent. Well we're gonna move on to your next game, Joe, and we're actually gonna talk about the deserted island. That you're going to be on as well. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's talk about it. Now partner style, I strictly 
Just before we move on to the second game on your list, then, Joe, we're going to talk about the deserted island that you're trapped on. Because okay. Because we, we give you the choice. You're allowed to choose somewhere from video games, but there are no, like, human characters. There are no NPCs. Mm-hmm. There are, if you choose a place that has, like, monsters or, like, beings that are out to kill you, like many video games have, they will be those types. Uh, so if you choose, like, a world from Monster Hunter, say, or something like that, the monsters will be there. Okay. But there, but there will be no human characters. You right. are truly alone on this deserted island. <laughs> Super. But we want you to be comfortable, so you do have the choice. We need you to be able to create as many Warzone 2100 maps <laughs> as possible. Yeah. So, Joe, is there anything that sort of springs to mind um, uh, the, from the, the world? The, the immediate thing that springs to mind is perennial first level to the Dynasty Warriors series, the Yellow Turban Rebellion map. Um, I don't know how <laughs> familiar you are with Dynasty Warriors. Um, when I was younger, I was pretty familiar. Um, okay, I have not played a Dynasty Warriors game in a long time. I've played other spin-off Musou games, um, but no actual Dynasty Warriors games for a while. Well, let me tell you, you're doing it wrong. But anyway, the Yellow Turban <laughs> Rebellion. Uh, I can't even remember the name of the map, but it's the map where the Yellow Turban Rebellion happens. I'm so intimately familiar with that, having played it over the course of what a decade in various forms. Um, and the events on that map that I think it would bring me a strange kind of comfort to be in it. Um, so, so I'm going to go with that. You, it's just so a series the, of like trenches and dunes. It's not even nice. <laughs> I think there's a temple in it, which I could sleep as, in. As I was going to say, so essentially, because they're human characters, although they're out to kill you, I guess, as they are an offending army, but they're still humans, so they wouldn't be there. No, I just want it um, empty. Just pure... So you're just going to have these empty Chinese temp- temples and lands to yeah. roam around. <laughs> I creating it, your own games of Warzone by yourself. Yeah, it would either make me feel awful or fine, and I'm I'm willing <laughs> to take that chance. Oh, and then obviously they have to be like power plugs or whatever. Maybe just a big generator in the temple. But, well, yeah. yeah, we'll make sure you're able to play the game, so See, don't worry about that. You keep saying we're going to, like you and some shadowy force are doing this to all your guests. Who's, <laughs> who is this organisation who's creating no, these no. bespoke <laughs> jails? No one's no one's ever asked me about why I use the he, uh, the we um, word to describe the show. I don't know, I just do somehow. I don't like using the word, like, I, as in I do everything, although... I truly do everything on the the show. (laughs) I am the one banishing everyone. I I guess in case it does happen, like some persona storyline happens where all these games people suddenly get disappeared to deserted islands. Mm. I don't don't want to be fully held responsible. (laughs) So So you create the illusion of other people. That's that's what you're doing. Yes, but now everyone knows there is no one but me, Joe. Well, Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks You're an that. absolute monster. That's what I've learned. <laughs> well, you are now going to be sent off to the the world of Dynasty Warriors. Yes. The, the first level. And the next game you're going to be playing there is an excellent game. Mm. A truly excellent game that you can spend hours playing. It was developed by EA's Black Box team, uh, published by EA itself. It was a game that came out for the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 in 2009. It's the excellent skateboarding game that was a sequel to the also excellent skateboarding game. It's Skate 2. Oh, Joe, God, I, I love why Skate are you two. taking Skate 2 with you? Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, well, like this. Uh, so I should point out, the first four are my nostalgia picks. Um, now, you're right. There is, there's a sort of Venn crossover here, because it's also I can play it forever, which fits the practicality angle. But... Um, 
I actually had real trouble deciding whether I'd pick Skate or Skate 2, and I think Skate 2 just had slightly more stuff, so I kind of went for that. Um, okay. But the first two Skate games, uh, I have, like, incredibly redolent memories of me and my best friend at uni um, being very bored and talking about... Because both of us were, like... You may have guessed I was a nerdy kid. Both of us really liked uh, just, as kids, like, watching skateboarders be good at it but never use skateboards ourselves because you know like just gangly idiots falling off things isn't fun (laughs) um and so we kind of i think we've been talking about like rodney mullen like doing good manuals and went into um probably was savvy closing at the time or something I think something was closed one of those horrible high street stores was closing down and we saw the original skate for five quid um and I just remember getting it home and realizing, and so this was like probably a year after it, a year or two after it had come out. Um, I just remember playing it for hours and realizing that I was like blissfully happy in this place. Um, I think it's called, I think it's San Vanalona in both of them. Um, yeah, but yeah, there it is. Yeah, um, and yeah, just the music was perfect. Like, um, I think the first game has Green Onions is the main menu at music by Booker T and the MGs, and that was just absolute. I just sat on the main menu because I didn't have it on my iPod, so I just listened to Green Onions all the time, um, and we just played for hours. And then when Skate kind of got a little bit tired, Skate Two had come out by that time, so I bought that, and we did the exact same thing again. Um, both of them have like some of the most perfect FMV openings of all video games, which is great. Um, they've got like these weird mini sketches featuring all the skaters in the game. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, I'm ignoring the fact that Skate is the best series of uh, sports games ever made, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think the interaction you have and the way it tries to replicate what doing that thing is, is peerless. Um and they perfected it in the first game, basically. Like, they didn't need to do anything more than just give me more stuff from the first game onwards. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think it's, like, a close-to-perfect game, Skate 2. Um, and is just incredibly relaxing and joyous. Uh, and that's well, what you just, want it just when had you're in these... the Yellow Turban Rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> it just had all these amazing things. People had grown up, like... It's, I've not really thought about it um, on this show before, but a big part of my life when I was younger, um, essentially three things defined me as a kid. It was video games, football, and skateboarding. And unlike you, I was a nitty kid who did skate. Well done. I you crossed that boundary. And I got obsessed with the whole skate culture for many years with my brother. Mm-hmm. Playing all the Tony Hawk's games, watching all the Tony Hawk's DVDs, Bam Majera, Rodney Mullen, all these people. So when skate came out, it was like, Obviously, I knew a lot about video games and bought a lot of video game magazines, and obviously had a guilty pleasure for like the Tony Hawk's games oh, God, because yeah, I they were great. because I love skateboarding. And I remember reading a preview of Skate and them saying about the control system and that you'd be able to like flick it like if you were doing like a real kickflip, you'd like mm. ollie, like you'd hold it back, flick it forward, and then flick it to the side like you would with your feet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my god, that is fucking perfect. Yeah. That is l- so perfect. There's no way it'll work properly. Like, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like a really dumbed down version. But it truly came out like that. And you had yeah. to, it was almost like learning Street Fighter moves, like input. Yes, uh, absolutely. And to do, like, 360 flips, you had to do like a shuriken movement and all that kind of stuff. 
and it just the control system was so good for skate and then skate 2 just perfected that and on top of that you had all these all these famous skaters who you grew up with and all the famous brands like you know birdhouse etnies it's, it's so all weird these... how that had a huge effect i remember like because um my best mate who i used to play it with were really he's one of those people that really likes trainers i don't get it but um he was just he was really excited by all the trainers brands in it and you're like yeah i was what? too the game does that that's amazing it's um, it's a weird thing that the skate culture kind of was like that clothing was a huge part of mm. that and it's kind of like people who like football who maybe play football on sunday they're like football boots they buy all the nike mm. stuff puma Skateboard kids like, you know, their big Adio shoes, their fucking Etnies, massive, these huge shoes that helped you, well, supposedly, quote-unquote, helped you to be better skateboarders. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, they were reflected earlier in the Tony Hawk's games, but even more so in Skate, because Skate was in HD, and, it, you know, it looked really good. Um, but all that sort of stuff was really exciting as well. Mm. And because um, skate, skate allowed you to choose a, a skateboarding brand that you wanted to be sponsored by. Yes. And obviously being sponsored in skateboarding was like, that's it, you've made it. Yeah. Um, so getting to choose and you're like, oh, do I choose like, do I want to go with Spitfire wheels or do I want to go work <laughs> for like E3 and like just all these incredible skateboarding. And you do companies. like Thrasher photo shoots and stuff. Yeah. And, like, oh God, so good. Um, it was really th- Yeah. Good. Like, and uh, for some reason, Skate 3 never resonated in the same way for me. I think I was just, I think outside of the the situation in which i first played skate it wasn't as exciting anymore um which is why i've gone for the second one i, th- I think the setting's better as well i'm not sure i liked uh, skate 3's world as much and also jason lee's character was really irritating um but yeah just this um it, you've reminded me it also gives you that sense of like grassroots sport which is really kind of special uh, you never yeah. you know you don't get like a football game well, barring football manager, perhaps, but you don't get a game where it's like you're just a guy uh, who happens to get good at something and get noticed. And it has that sort of, you know, American sporting movie curve to it, where you're like, this it's such a cool experience to feel like you're good at something, <laughs> which it, it was, so it, really happens to me. It felt like it was made by skaters because it had everything like the homegrown DVDs, like people with their shit handy cams filming. Mm people like well they're going along on skateboard as well so it's all shaky and horrible but it just felt as you said like that sort of really just horrible home video type yeah skate our culture and he, he nailed that it was really good also it had like photo mode and allowed you to record oh, yourself yeah. and that was i spent hours and hours like trying to do like the perfect 360 flip to like nose blunt grind on a mm. rail and oh so much fun i also had that like sort of pre-share button attempt at uploading videos to a website where you had to watch them through a proprietary player and it was just crap <laughs> but i really liked the <laughs> i liked the effort to load a 30 second video exactly yeah yeah, yeah. But, bailing oh, on the ground yeah but god it was good i mean yeah i just think there it's as close to a sort of perfect reflection, as you say, of the culture as well as the activity. And there's yeah, something incredibly satisfying about just being, yeah, being in that place and being in that situation and just being able to tool about with it. But there's no, 
it so rarely feels in that game like there's an impetus to do anything beyond what you want to do, but it also doesn't have that sort of just cause problem where you're overwhelmed by options of silliness. It, you've got one interaction with the world and you can just get better at it, um, but it never goes, get better in this way. It just leaves you in this place. And yeah, you might didn't... go, you, like, we'd have sessions where we were just like, let's just go to the top of that dam and see if we can survive falling off it. And just did it for hours. Uh, <laughs> and that's just fantastic. What a cool interaction to have with a, a player. It was just one of those things, as you said, it's, uh, it did skateboarding. And it had everything you ever needed for skateboarding. Customizing your trucks, customizing your wheels, customizing your deck. And then it didn't need to give you any more. It just gave you the world to skate in. That mm. was perfectly crafted for you to go around and mess around. And as you said, you could just go to like a set of stairs with a rail and spend hours on that one rail in this very large world. And yeah, it just provided you with everything you needed without overloading you as a player. It's also had the unintended effect of making every single EA conference at every single event the most disappointing thing possible because they will (laughs) never announce Skate 4. It is not happening. Which is weird because... EA came out after Skate 1 and Skate 2 and said that these did absolutely way better than expecta- uh, like expectations. Skate 3 accidentally got enormous after PewDiePie played it. So it's not like they've done badly. I don't understand what's going on. Even but Ubisoft even, are making a snowboarding game now. Come on, bring it back. E- even then, like skateboarding culture may not be as it once was, but we still have stuff like the X Games and there is that. still loads and loads of people who are obviously skateboarding and stuff. We live um, in an entire culture built around catering to 30 to 40 year old men right now. Exactly. That's the whole point of cult- pop culture at this point. If skateboarding isn't a thing, then I don't know what's going on. They're missing a trick. But even then, like Skate 3 might have not performed great to begin with, and then PewDiePie played it and it obviously got big, but it came out six years ago. So yeah. Who knows? Some people might be like itching because. To be fair, Skate 1, 2, and 3 came out almost a year after each other, cons- consistently, which we all know does saturate a franchise and really drives home people's, oh, another game in that series. Mm. It's been six years since Skate 3. I'm pretty sure people would be very excited for a new I've one. I've never met anyone who liked Skate who was bothered by a yearly release for that series. I'd be very <laughs> happy if we were on Skate 9 at this point. Like, just keep giving it. Put the give it the FIFA thing. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just need to be doing that thing. Oh God, I want to play skate today. Christ. I really want to play skate today as well. Is there is there a PC release of skate? I don't know I don't, if there is. You know, I don't. I'm not sure about that. Maybe people are shouting at us right now. Like, yes, there is. Yeah, on there Origin is. or something. Well, we're gonna have to move on to your next game now, which is okay. a, a game not about sports, not about skateboarding, but is fantastic as well. So we're gonna listen to some excellent music from this next game and we're going to talk about it. Thank you. 
So, Joe, just like your IGN colleague, Mr. Gavin Murphy, this next game also features on your list, as it did his. It's the first game in this very small spin-off series of Mario's titles. It was developed by Nintendo EAD Tokyo and directed by Yoshitaka Kaizumi, with produced by Shigeru Miyamoto. It's the wonderful game that released in 2007 for the Wii and released, uh, well, last year became on the Wii U Virtual Console as well. It's Super Mario Galaxy. Oh, Super Mario Galaxy. I mean, I nearly didn't include this on the list because it's such an obvious, like, you know, if you were going to make a list of the eight games that, you know, <laughs> boring games journalists would put on their thing, I've definitely got at least two of them on here. Um, uh, like Super Mario Galaxy, Resident Evil 4, all of this, you know, these epochal things that everyone talks about. Um, it's almost not worth it, but I can't imagine going without one Mario game. And if it was going to be any, it has to be the first Galaxy. It's just like the most tremendous clash of form, function, style, substance. Everything in it is honed to be both the best and best looking game that was ever released it's just unbelievable i can't believe they did it it's so weird um and it's really strange to think about super mario galaxy i i don't know many people who don't like super mario galaxy i remember (laughs) and it's funny when you talk about Super Mario Galaxy and Super Mario Galaxy 2, there's this weird, oh, which one do you prefer? Which one? Like, some people like two, some people like one, but mm. it's, it was just such, like, when you really think about it, Mario obviously has spun off into many different things. Like, whoever thought Mario would play tennis? Whoever yeah. thought Mario would play golf? Whoever thought Mario would go to the Olympics? Oh, God, I wish he wouldn't go to the Olympics. <laughs> Have you played the new one? I haven't Chance. actually, no. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I thought that might be a little subtweet about the, uh, oh, the no, latest no. release just, then. <laughs> no, I've just played enough of those things to know exactly what I'm getting. <laughs> Plus, putting Mario anywhere near Sonic is a fucking crime. Get <laughs> from, rid of that from stupid blue bastard. Uh, well, apart, apart from Smash. He's yeah, okay I suppose. I don't, I don't even like him there with his dumb springs. Get lost. <laughs> anyway, sorry, getting off point here. Um, but the, as I was going to say, the idea of Mario being in space on paper, obviously, mm. is very strange. But as you said, they, they did it. Yeah. Like, and, as, and, it's, and not it's, only did it work, not only did it work... It worked very fucking well. Yeah, you've just given me uh, the amazing <laughs> comparison that Mario Galaxy is essentially the Jason X of Mario. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is weird. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the, thing that, the thing that infests my mind, and I know this isn't technically true, but Mario Galaxy to me feels like... Uh, it feels like more than a... Th- it doesn't feel like a 3D platformer. It feels beyond 3D platforming. Uh, in the same to me Mario 64 is like the moment at which and I actually don't have particularly nostalgic memories of Mario 64 because I didn't have an N64 at the time so I played it after the after the fact and it wasn't as okay. special okay but uh Mario 64 obviously what it did to change the world was gave gave you a big space to move around in that that's amazing they'd never done that before uh, Mario Galaxy feels like something different even though it's ultimately the same idea the way it deals with this like surreal concept of mini planets with their own orbits and the way you travel between them there's something really strange about it that i can't quite 
quantify in my head. It's just the most like gorgeous, weird thing. And it, it everything you can say about the Mario series is trite. So just please ignore like the fact that I'm saying things that everyone says. But Mario has always been like this surreal uh, sort of abstraction of something. It feels like some strange expressionist painting. Like there's something going on and they won't tell you what it is, but it's just nice to be in it. And Galaxy to me is that all over. It's just someone's mad thoughts uh, drawn down, put on a series of post-it notes, which they do, which is great. And then turned into this like just bafflingly good thing that makes no... I just don't understand how it exists. Like, it's, it's, it's game design <laughs> beyond anything else. It's unbelievable. It's it's funny you say that as well. Um, I watched a video the other day. Um, someone had unearthed a video of a German magazine, like, game magazine, that had gone to Nintendo's offices back in 1994. Mm-hmm. And obviously they're walking around, and they go to you know, Miyamoto's desk, and they're like... So, well, you know, how did you come up with the character of Mario? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I just wanted someone who was different. So I made an Italian plumber. You know, I just <laughs> drew it on a post-it note. And it's like, like this is the kind of thing that happens at Nintendo. It's just like someone's like, it, it. there is almost like no concept of stupidity. Nothing is stupid. Everything is feasible in some way. Yeah. And that just is how it feels. And Galaxy is almost the epi- like the the epitaph of that. It's like... Let's put an Italian plumber in space with a with a control system where if you shake it, he does a little spin. And somehow that's going to be one of the highest rated video games of all time. And yeah. one of the largest selling on the console as well. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just... Uh, and just the, the sheer design of the thing. Like, it give, it, all of those planets are, like, just big veils in front of the fact that what you are doing is playing the greatest obstacle course ever devised by anyone. Like, (laughs) it hides the fact that it's, like, just a series of brilliant, uh, like, tricky little puzzle boxes behind, you know, the the just most gorgeous veneer possible. Uh, And I just can't... It's... I think it's impossible to talk about properly because the feelings it gives you are too... And the the presentation of it is too far beyond yeah, everyone the music, else. The music, the graphics, the way everything is presented in that game. just It's funny because that gets sort of tossed to the wayside when you talk about Galaxy because of how good the gameplay is. Mm. But when I think of the music, the music shifted to an orchestral soundtrack from yep. previous Mario games, which had had, you know, like normal instruments or had been like chiptune music. Mm. Even that shift itself was huge and having this huge grand scale um soundtrack to a mario game was just huge and yeah that just epitomizes galaxy it truly is like like forgive me it is out of this world in yeah just every sense from its music its graphics the lighting engine in that game as well i oh it's, it's hard to describe it feels like <laughs> it feels like um uh, and I desperately hope a Galaxy 3 is the Mario game we get on NX. I'm not sure it will be, um, but that's my, like, biggest dream. Um, but if it isn't, it feels like Galaxy was this sort of, um, like, this strange moment of, like, the zenith of Nintendo's powers. Like, somehow they got together a team that was so 
much better than anything they had before or since and made <laughs> the perfect game for that team. Um, in the same way, like, we'll get on to Platinum later, but in, in the same way that there are a couple of Platinum games where it feels like no one else could have made this and the people who made it are absolutely the best at doing that thing. Uh, it's this, like, strange, like... It's, you know, it's it's fucking... It's OK Computer. It's this... It's a group of people making something that shouldn't be possible. It's... Uh, I just think it's unbelievable. Like, it's just this force that exists now, and we have to deal with it, because, you know, it's God. It's God! <laughs> it's, it's amazing as well, because... And it... What's so funny about Nintendo and the staff who work on, like, Galaxy, obviously the director was uh, Yoshiaki Kozumi, who'd worked on many Nintendo titles, but he started out at Nintendo as an illustrator. Like, he had no programming experience, like no designing. Nintendo just makes these people. I don't know how that happens. (laughs) They just keep appearing. Like, So he's, he's gone from being this illustrator who obviously liked video games, and then he designs and creates... (laughs) <laughs> something like Super Mario Galaxy. <laughs> yes. And is there any greater expression of the fact that like an you know a different uh a different viewpoint can make something special? Like you Yeah, absolutely. When you're told that an illustrator was the director on Galaxy, it becomes immediately clear because presentation is so much a part of its puzzles. The fact that you you often see, you know, the full scope of the level ahead of you and and half of the experience is about working out how you get down that chain of beautiful things. And you want to go to all of them because they look like absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. You want to be in all of that. So it's that intersection of uh, presentation with design and the puzzles in between. And it all just melds. And you, like, a, you know, a genius programmer would make a different Mario Galaxy because he'd have different thoughts about how to entice you down that thing. It would still it would probably still be an incredible game, but it wouldn't be that game because the the thinking behind it is so pure. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. It's such a strange thing. <laughs> it is just this it's funny cuz Mario Galaxy has come up a lot on this show and it's still I still find it hard to describe just what was so special about that game and it came like it came at a time when i was in college and i had no money to pay Mm. for video games um somehow i think my weird memory of this is i convinced a friend to buy it for me and i'd pay him (laughs) back in monthly installments incredible like and it wasn't even like a like a really good friend it was just like a dude i was in the same class with uh, in college and I, I was like, I really want this game. And he was like, yeah, it's going to be so good. And he had a job. And he, I was like, you should get two copies and then we can play it. And uh, then we can talk about it, you know. <laughs> so you've got someone to talk about it with. And just basically trying to, in any way I could, convince him to buy the game for me. When was the last time you saw this guy? Uh, literally probably around that time. I think you've got to go back and visit him and kiss him or something. He deserves I, more. I think so. So with Mario Galaxy... Obviously, Mario Galaxy 2 came along, and mm. w- this was before your time at official Nintendo magazine. I yes, imagine. yeah. Um, but how did you feel about Mario Galaxy 2? Because I remember I spoke to a Gav about Mario Galaxy 2 as well, because I think Mario Galaxy just Mario Galaxy 2 continues on almost mm. in a kind of Skate 2 kind of way. Yes, It's just yeah, more absolutely. of the same, but better, mm-hmm. essentially just adding on to that. Um, but Gav didn't see it that way. He thought it was... a. Two was a sort of disappointment compared to how uh, special I, Galaxy One was. I think that's a bit far. I think um, 
again, this is in the nostalgia section. It's it's part. I mean, partly Galaxy's power is in what it did to you the first time you played it because it yeah. was stupid. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I can't. I can't express myself properly, and it's really bothering me. But essentially. I think, yeah, part of it is the impact, and Galaxy 2 couldn't have that impact. It was impossible. Uh, I'm incredibly glad that the Galaxy 2 exists because I think I think there are better puzzles in it. I think it's um, I I think it's like uh, just an absolutely fantastic expansion pack. Essentially, um, I feel like Galaxy, to me, in my memory, Galaxy just feels a bit purer. I I really didn't like Yoshi for a start. I thought I didn't enjoy those sections. He okay. The um, part of Galaxy's incredible, you know, moment-to-moment thing is that you always feel like you're in control, despite being on mostly on a spherical plane, which is not how you input. It is not a, a way you play games. Like it, it feels wrong. So the fact that you feel so perfectly in control at all times is an absolute marvel. Um, and I felt like occasionally Galaxy went too far towards putting you out of control, which is sort of at odds with what that design is. Um, yeah. This all sounds very negative. Galaxy 2 is unbelievable. And again, uh, in the same way that I... Th- uh, oh no, we talked about that before. Anyway, in the same way that a game <laughs> we're about to talk about um, does, uh, it's um, it, it's it's a game that you criticise, but in the context of it being still essentially the best one of the best games ever made. Um, yeah. Oh God, Galaxy. Um, yeah. I think I think it's about time we moved on from Galaxy. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll just fall over. I'll just faint. <laughs> it's very hard to talk about these games that sort of define certain periods in gaming history. There are mm. a few of them, and Galaxy is one of those standout games from the, you know, 2000 to 2010 era of what? these incredible games that came through. And- well, like a, like I say though, there's something. St- there's something odd and like um, there's something slightly just other about it because you don't see that there there aren't three D platformers like that. There there were a couple like the closest thing I can think of, and this is horrible, is like certain bits of Sonic Lost World. Like there, <laughs> no one really. It feels like because everyone copied Mario and everyone copied Mario sixty four. I genuinely think people look at Galaxy and just go, what is the point? Why would we bother copying this? It's impossible. It's which, just which, the, which Sonic it's, game was it that copied Galaxy? Was it Lost World? Uh, yeah, Lost World had a couple of bits that were very Galaxy-ish. Yeah, because I remember watching the trailer for, I think I think if it, you're correct, Lost World, and being like, okay, so Sonic Team just stole what Galaxy yeah. did. That looks and exactly obviously it was crap. Um, yeah. But, oh, yeah, it was just very odd. Um uh, yeah, it, to me, it feels like it's almost it's almost too pristine to try and copy. I, I think in in a world of stealing ideas and trying to do things with them, it's just like it's too far beyond. Um, Some ideas are just too difficult. Yeah, <laughs> to, um, the, the the barrier of maybe getting it right and yeah. the massive like uh, area for failure is too yeah. high. Yeah. Wait, wait a second. When's this going up? Monday. Monday. That is. I'm trying to work out if I can talk about a game I've seen. <laughs> um, no, I can't. Okay. I saw a game recently that had very Mario Galaxy-esque as- aspects, and it was the first time that I've genuinely gone, oh, Christ, someone's actually trying to do this. 
Um, and so that's a good thing. Maybe we're getting to a point where people, it's nostalgic enough that people can start copying it, which would be very nice. And I'm sorry that I can't say what it is, because that's really <laughs> irritating. It's fine, because when you can talk about it, then you can reference this episode and be like, this was the game I was talking it's, about. It's literally like two days later. Um, but, <laughs> so yeah. Um, we can, well, we can we're going to have to, well, we're going to move on to your next game now anyway, because yes. I think we're both going to run out of words. Oh my um, God. For the next five games you have mm-hmm. as well. We've almost reached the pinnacle. Usually I put games like Mario Galaxy last, but I feel like it's been talked about enough on this show, but still, even now. We still managed fucking still 20 managed minutes on it. Yeah. <laughs> of, of almost nothing, as we breathlessly <laughs> attempted to express feelings that are so ineffable. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I know this next game is pretty special to you as well. So, Oh, God, yeah. We're going to listen to some excellent music now, and then we're going to talk about it. So the next game on your list, Joe, is a game developed by Capcom and published by Capcom as well. It was directed by uh, Hideaki Itsununo. It's a it's a game that kind of came out of nowhere um, and has grown in, I think, from cult status to generally acceptable, pretty being, being a huge game, I think, now. There was something yesterday, a little bit of news of Capcom oh. teasing something that people thought potentially could be a sequel to this game that hurt my heart so badly (laughs) i i thought so a lot of people got excited but unfortunately it was not it's a game that came out for the playstation 3 the xbox 360 i can't even talk now thanks to super mario galaxy and the pc it came out in 2012 it's the superb action rpg dragon's dogma dragon's dogma is uh the shittiest modern classic of all time uh i i think dragon's dogma is hilarious uh, it's some of the worst writing and occasionally some of the worst game design that I've seen in a game that I love so, so much. Um, it's just brilliant. I, like, uh, if if people don't know... Has Dragon's Dogma been talked about on the show before? I bet it has. No. Uh, has it um, yeah, no, yeah, sorry. I I just remembered Mr. Matt Lee's. Oh, of course he did, yes. Matt Lee's chose Dragon's Dogma as well. I bet he talked yes. about how he was the man who kicked off the whole Dragon's Dogma thing, which is he technically did it, true. Um, he did indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did indeed. I was actually, that, when I was interning at OXM, he was making those videos. And uh, actually part of the reason I even played it was because Matt Lees was like, play this fucking game. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, a Japanese uh, classic RPG studio attempting to make something that can be like Skyrim and sort of accidentally making something so, so much better. Yeah. Um, it's weird as hell. Uh, it has 
one of the most mercurial storylines of all time. <laughs> uh, can we talk about the end? Yeah, the ending. Is, yeah, I think so. I, have you have you played it? I have. It's funny actually. Uh, just before we get onto uh, the ending and stuff, the way I played it, it's I've referenced this so many times on. Uh, this show now, but it seemed to be a really defining year for games and me playing them. Uh, in ga- I went to Gamescom 2011, mm-hmm. and uh, I, w- I was super excited to go to the Capcom booth because they were they had Street Fighter Cross Tekken, which at the time, oh yeah, was obviously this huge collaboration. Turned out to be absolutely shit, <laughs> and um, so they were doing a lot of promotion. But tucked away in this tiny little corner was this. There was like three or four screens for this new game they were doing called dragon's dogma and i was like oh i love action role-playing game um it sort of looked inspired by maybe like breath of fire and kind of that capcom feel still it was still very japanese while Hmm. obviously trying to copy skyrim and i remember feeling the controls for the first time and the combat and climbing on like monsters and then the monsters taking off into the sky and being like holy shit no game has done this the first time I, I, a griffin picked up one of my party members and just flew away with them. <laughs> yeah. I, there's nothing else like it. And I remember playing it and being like, this game is going to be really, really big. And it it, it kind of was. Not as big just as... Just not immediately. Just not immediate. But I thought what it was doing then, like taking their whole... Because it, it was 2011, so Skyrim was about to come out. So it was the summer of 2011. So it was before Skyrim came out. But Christ, yeah. So riding on riding on the Skyrim hype um, with Dragon's Dogma, I was like, this is probably going to catch on a little bit, and it kind of did. But just ever since I touched it that first time, I've really just thought of it as being a, a great example of like controls and and combat, and one of the reasons of why I really like that game. Man, I, it's like. It's um oh, you're absolutely right, and and not least it it also does a thing that I love in Capcom RPGs, and again we will get onto later, um by turning, changing how you approach the game fundamentally by changing classes or weapons. Um, yeah. The way the way you c- the, the different ways you can play that game are so separate from each other. It gets the idea. It, very few games actually do role playing, and I don't think Dragon's Dogma does it. You don't step into the shoes of a person and become them. That you just don't do that. Um, what it does do is it it gets uh, that sort of that sense of a class being the be all and end all of your abilities better than most role playing games. You know, there's always this hybridity because, particularly in Western games, they don't want to let you play the game without experience every experiencing everything they did with it. Um, whereas Dragon's Dogma goes, no, if you're going to be a sorcerer, you can't fucking fight. Don't even bother, because you'll just <laughs> die, you idiot. Um, which I really, really like. And it does strange things, like the Magic Archer is essentially a target painting, like, bullet hell game for a bit. Um, uh, which is amazing. Uh, it's it's the- that sort of very Japanese idea of, when you pick a class, that is it. That's your job role. Yeah, you, ex- you precisely. have to stick with that. Uh, yeah, and... Um, and and just the ways it forces you to learn how to or re often relearn how to play because it, it doesn't do the thing where you're not allowed to change you can switch whenever you like basically um, but the, the 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 sheer learning curve of some of those things like I never even bothered with the Mystic Knight who was like this nutcase hybrid thing where you absorb loads of damage and then sort of shoot it back at people I just <laughs> it's so 
far beyond the thinking of most of these games. Um, and and I mean, yes, uh, I think Dragon's Dogma does two for me. Dragon's Dogma does two things better than any game ever, which is one, it has the best spell in all of games, High Bolide, which is when you are a sorcerer, you can summon meteors from the sky. <laughs> that do not have a target. They just hit the area. So they might hit you or your friends or enemies. It is... Uh, I got asked... Uh, when I was at Games Radar, we did like a collaborative piece, which was like um, uh, gaming moments that make you feel godlike. And my whole point was being a sorcerer and using that spell is not being godlike. You are a god for a bit. You are wrenching pieces of space rock out of the out of orbit <laughs> to hit a dragon maybe but you're still slightly out of control and it will hit you if you're you know if you're unlucky like that you you like it's the it's the most like pure expression of like elemental force that i can think of and i just think it's fantastic like i i spent most of the latter part of that game just using that spell because i found it, ab- it so incredibly it absolutely satisfying. destroyed your frame rate though oh my god yeah it was awful it absolutely <laughs> ruined it like- yeah but it's Terrible. worth it. You're you're changing the earth. You're changing the <laughs> space around whatever fantasy world you're in. It's brilliant. It deserves to break the frame frame rate. I'll take it. Well, um, speaking of being a god, then mm. go uh, tell the people who haven't maybe played it or oh god, yeah, the story about the story. Then oh. the story is, I think, one of the. Most people are going to have played Dragon's Dogma, and that game is a long, hard game. Yeah. It's a difficult game, and it's very long. So I think a lot of people are going to have missed the ending. I, I, I mean, if you've, escaped, uh, if you've escaped Dragon's Dogma without... Uh, the discussion of Dragon's Dogma without hearing about the ending, I mean, I, first, I don't know how it's happened, but, you know, strap in, right? So, Dragon's Dogma is essentially a quite poor fantasy narrative for a very, very long time. You're trying to get your heart back from a dragon that took it um, and you became a sort of weird rift-walking person. I don't know, it's crap. It's really bad. Um, And (laughs) you spend the entire game just building up enough to beat this dragon because you can go and fight the dragon at any point, which is brilliant. Um, So at some point, you're just like, right, I reckon I'm strong enough. I'm going to go and fight the dragon. And you beat it. And it's um, it kind of just ends. Like, you beat it, you get heart back. That's great. Credits roll. And then after the credits, it plays a cutscene where the major city in the game, uh, like, a giant crevasse opens in the middle of it. And, uh... Like <laughs> it's actually just to... called... Isn't it just called The Hole? Isn't it's it something like... ridiculous. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the eternal something. And essentially... It opens a portal to an incredibly small infinity, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, like, the way they represent infinity is that you go skydiving through a series of weird dungeons, and when you get to the bottom, you just appear at the top again. It's really odd. Um, it's like being... It's, it's like an action RPG's take on an infinitely scrolling level, like how you come out of the other yeah. side of the screen in Towerfall. When you go off the right, you come on the left. It's just yeah. that. It's really funny. Um, and yeah, so suddenly it's a very a very weird skydiving game where you go into a series of dungeons and collect pieces of something from like crazy hard monsters, some of which you've never seen before. Like one of them's just a beholder from uh, Dungeons & Dragons, one of those big eye beasts, uh, which you've never seen before. And it's just there. Um, and you get like pieces of 
something. And then <laughs> all of this basically leads up to a moment where uh, God steals your principal romantic interest in the game, which can be any NPC. And for some people was like the gruff blacksmith because they talk to him most <laughs> because the game is completely <laughs> opaque about what it's doing. Um, which I find hilarious. Um, God takes... Uh, God, I'm going to trip over this because it's so weird. God takes your romantic interest. You go... You have to choose... Oh, no, shit, is that the dragon? Maybe the dragon takes it. Ah, oh, fuck, I can't remember. Anyway, to cut a long story short, you meet no, the God. Dra- the, dra- the dragon... You, you go to the mountain where the dragon is, and yeah. then... The dragon has taken your love interest, and then you get the choice, don't you? Even though like, you've already beaten the dragon, that's right. I, I can't isn't remember it. it. Like you, it's something you, like this. You have to like sacrifice your love interest or face the dragon. And it turns out that the dragon was once what you are. The are you called the are you the, the arisen? arisen? The yeah, arisen. the arisen. Yeah. I'm doing a really good job of telling this plot. Um, <laughs> it is convoluted to the yeah. max. Um, and yeah, and it turns out the dragon was one, and also another character was. Um, king in the game who's like this mad bastard the um, duke the duke the duke sorry yeah. yes yeah, the, duke. Uh, the duke was one as well and he uh, like he did sacrifice his love i think and has sort of regretted it i can't remember anyway he like he, he, he he puts like he's got like a curse on him that he made because he made a deal with the dragon or something yeah and then he blames you as for yes. doing it or something oh god Anyway, and then what? the whole then the hole appears. Yes, I think. Yeah. Oh God, is that it? Right. Anyway, eventually you f- <laughs> to cut a long story short, you fight and kill God. You become God. The game becomes very boring um, because all you can do is walk around the f- the opening village as a sort of invisible figure, um, <laughs> and the only way to end the game is to use a special dagger and kill yourself. <laughs> At which point the entire game restarts with your pawn, who is this sort of um, soulless rift being that's been hanging around with you and going to other people's games in a brilliant, weird mechanic that we haven't touched on. Uh, And your pawn gets your soul and you start the game again. Uh, Now, um, some of my friends who are... uh, Firstly, would have told the story better than I would and who are um, cleverer than me. (laughs) have like very complica- complicated uh, complicated ideas of what this means metaphorically about family and uh you know the the perils of children and god and religion and all this stuff i all of those are probably right i just think it's the most audacious ending in all of gaming i cannot believe they hid the best part of their game uh behind the credits for a start yeah um, and secondly, that it's so fabulously weird um, in, a, in a way, like, you know, lots of games have weird storylines because they aren't written by good writers. But this is like, suddenly turns, it, it's almost like it's intentionally hidden. And but what they've done is they've tricked you into playing a very rote game. And then at the end go, by the way, everything you were doing was had is completely recolored by the ending and we've tricked you and 
wonderful. That's absolutely perfect. They Kaiser Soze a fancy action RPG. <laughs> um, which, yeah, it's just fantastic. And this is all not to mention the fact that it's like a really cleverly thought out action game. It's got like systems that are impenetrably deep um, and that can be messed with endlessly. It's uh, just, oh, it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, and it's got so much shit in it. I don't know, like, it's really bad pacing. Uh, the Like, the nighttime sections are an absolute nightmare. Like, what it yeah, does... The nighttime like, stuff is really annoying. Yeah, nighttime in the game is, like, uh, the idea is essentially you never want to be out at night. So it's incredibly dark. It's full of crazy strong monsters. Uh, and so it... it <laughs> It really teaches you um, to, like, time manage everything you do. Like, if you're not doing quests quick enough and you get stuck in the wilderness at night, it's just horrible. And I think that's great. I really like that. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, it's just so weird. I really like it. Um, And the reason it's in my nostalgia section was I think it was the first time where I had, like, Truly, like I truly considered a game completely differently before and after. Like, there's been plenty of games that you think about long after you play them, but for some reason, it really, really stuck with me. And I think there's so much to dig in there. It would just if you were on a desert island that happened to be the Elaton Rebellion stage from Dynasty Warriors One to Four, it would be <laughs> a very nice thing to just ponder. Even when you weren't playing, you'd be walking around the sand dunes and temples and thinking about. <laughs> just what they were doing um, in so many regards. And if a sequel isn't made, just like Skate, I will just never truly feel love again. Um, it's so good. I love it. So which version are you going to be taking? Are you going to be taking the the original uh, Dragon's Dogma or the uh, enhanced uh, edition, which was the Dark Arisen? Dark Arisen. I think I would take Dark Arisen just because it makes uh, fast travel slightly easier. That's basically it. Um, The expansion they released is god-awful. They saw how well Dark Souls had done and tried to make a mini Dark Souls as an expansion pack, and it's Ah. crap. Um, (laughs) Like, it's so insanely difficult that it becomes not fun. Like, they saw Dark Souls and went, what people like is really having a bad time and completely missing the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, It it wasn't too good. Although it did very well for sales. and Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad they did it. Yeah, the PC version as well was... Yeah, with all the HD textures and that. Yeah, it was like like the fastest selling Capcom game for PC as well, which is when you compare it to like Street Fighter 4 or something like that, or Resident Evil... It's huge. I had no so idea about that. Yeah, so speaking of uh, Dragon's Dogma 3, obviously there was this sort of op- Operation Palm or Project Palm or something that yeah. was teased yesterday, and it kind of looked a little fantasy-ish. Well, no, so, like, I mean, there are characters essentially with a very... So Project Palm was, like, this teased thing by Capcom, which was a picture of a palm with a sort of strange, like, glowing sigil on a hand. And that is a recurring theme in Dragon's Dogma. Like... I don't understand how they thought that that was a good idea because it turns out it's some sort of like smartphone game for children. And you're just like, what are you? Like, they're doing it on purpose. Um, unless it turns out that it's another Dragon's Dogma twist and it Maybe. turns out that it is Dragon's Dogma 2 and that would be brilliant. 
That would be um, brilliant. There's that Dragon's Dogma online as well, which I've never played because it's. I have uh, played that early. actually. How's I that? forgot about that. I played that when when I first moved to Japan. That that got released last mm. year, and I was like, oh sweet, I'm on Japanese IP addresses now. I can download it without being having to go through VPNs and stuff. It's okay. It's not. It's, <laughs> I I didn't get too far into it, um, but it uh it retains the. Dragon's Dogma combat, which is my favorite thing about Dragon's Dogma, as mm. well as the story being batshit crazy. Um, so I really enjoyed it. And you're playing with other people. Your pawns are essentially other people. So mm. it kind of just is like the original Dragon's Dogma. Like the other characters you fight with are pretty capable. Pawns mm-hmm. were kind of stupid, but also at the same time pretty pretty capable to help yeah. you a lot of the time. So it's essentially like playing with normal people um it's it's just more of the same um but it's an mmo and it would be a shame i think because it's free to play as well um i think it would be a a big shame not to bring it out to the west i know there are no plans to do so Mm. i think uh when i last read about it but it's a good game it's not a bad game at all so it would be a shame and i think considering it is the fastest selling capcom game for windows why not yeah, I mean, why not? But oh. that still remains to be seen. Um, but maybe, maybe there is st- there is still stuff that Capcom have got hanging in the air. Like, do you, do you remember Deep Down? Do you remember oh, that? Yeah, what what on earth was going on there? I'm fairly sure that that's been canned, hasn't it? I'm like that was sure just that's... some strange thing they were making that no one understood, including yeah. them. <laughs> so there is Capcom just do their own things, don't they? Really? Yeah. And it's funny, right. speaking of Capcom, mm. I think it's about time we we talk about your next game. Hopefully, yes. we can talk about the next few games more eloquently than we have spoken about both Super Mario Galaxy and Dragon's Dogma. Yeah, but they're beautiful, <laughs> shining examples of weirdness that, you know, that t- they, that they deserve to be talked away. about in that way. Yeah, what, what gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I love it. So let's listen to some music for the next game. If you've listened to one of the most recent shows, you'll know all about this next game. So let's listen to some music and dive straight into it. So now we're going on to the second half of your list, Joe, and this is all mm. about the games that you've chosen for all practical reasons, uh, yeah. as well as the these games obviously being games that you like a lot. Yes. And um, this next game is, I think some people will find it strange that you've not picked the latest in this series, but you have good reason for. Yes. It's a game that originally came out in Japan in 2013. Uh, then it came out a little later as an updated version in Japan, as well as being the ultimate version in the UK last mm-hmm. February. 
It's the fourth main time mainline series in in the series. <laughs> My words today are terrible. <laughs> Look, what have you done? What have you done to me, Joe? You've, I'm you've sorry. I'm just show. so inarticulate and crap. <laughs> I just infect everyone. <laughs> and we were talking about podcasting experience before the show started as well. I never said <laughs> I was good at it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, throw, throwing it aside, this game is Monster Hunter Four Ultimate, oh. not Generations. No, absolutely not. Although um, you do like Generations. Oh, I, I I, it's brilliant. Um, basically, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, uh, I think, is my favourite game of all time. Um, it's it sort of crept up on me, and by about the 400th hour, I went, oh yeah, this is probably the best thing I've ever played. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, firstly, to explain, this, uh, I think the pacing of and the explanations in Monster Hunter 4 um, are better than Generations, which is part of my reasoning for liking it more. In terms of the island, um, I think it is better because Generations, to my knowledge, does not have G-Rank, um, which is the super, super hardcore no, it doesn't. end game. Well, it's not even end game. It's another game um, on top how... of the rest of Monster Hunter. I actually have a question about that. How, how hmm. many ranks did it take to get to G-Rank in Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate? Hey, so here's the thing. It's my favourite game ever. I never got to G-Rank because it's really hard. I just yeah, played okay. forever with my friends. Because um, <laughs> I, all... I was playing Generations earlier today and I was doing like Hunter Rank 2 quests. Obviously mm-hmm. not getting anywhere very fast. Even though I spoke to Gaijin Hunter not that long ago, I should mm. be miles ahead. But the, a guy joined my lobby and he was like Hunter Rank 57. Oh my God. And I was like, what? How, how, do, you, how do you get that far in yeah, that game? Yeah, it's monstrous. It's uh, crazy. I, yeah, it's and it is just like and he, he, I bet that person doesn't even realize how much time they've put into that game. Like it's ah, uh, Monster Hunter's so perfect. It's in the same way that um in fact, and I hadn't thought about this, in the same way that Galaxy is like a perfect intersection of so many different systems that all work together to help each other and it becomes this like rolling effect of design presentation, like everything works to make you want to play more. Yeah. Um Monster Hunter is I think the, the sort of most perfect rhythm, like there's a very specific feeling to how you go through the systems of that game. The way it gently goes, okay, so you want to fight this monster, but to get the armor that you really need to be able to deal with this monster, you should go and fight these ones or go and do this farming quest or go and grind for this. And it takes you on these like branching paths through the game until the point at which you are proactively goal setting for yourself and the game is not telling you to do anything you're just going well here's what i need and my very tired thing uh that i say about monster hunter to anyone who'll listen to me is that every particularly armor sets every armor set you wear is like a map of the route you've taken through that game um so for instance in four ultimate i worked really hard to get a suit of armor that was basically kind of crap but made you look like a lobster um (laughs) And the 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 I the stuff you need to get the lobster suit is so specific that I can trace back exactly the activities I was having to do. I was like fishing with my cat friends and I was going to this particular map for this particular resource. And you look at it and, and the beauty of it is that playing with other people, which is Monster Hunter at its best, you walk into the multiplayer lobby 
and people look at your armor and know exactly what you've done and what you've gone through and it becomes like this sort of strange like nostalgic fashion parade of like yeah. oh i know exactly where you've been i know exactly what you've gone through to get this and it, it represents in the same way that we were talking earlier about um the pleasure the weird pleasure of like seeing things you own equipped on your character yeah it has that like Absolutely. down to a T. Like yeah. there's something so satisfying about knowing that you've completed this thing and the hard work you went through it. So it's, I, it's, I, it's that thing that keeps getting said about Monster Hunter. It's it's almost the only game where you wear your progress. Yes. Yep. Um, and it's and, and beyond that, uh, again, the system's intertwining. The way it deals with loot is so uh, it, at the same time so equitable and so mean that it becomes this like fascinating experiment in pushing you to your absolute limits of frustration because you know exactly how to get something. Like, if I need this thing's horns, I need to be able to smash its horns off, which is which then takes me down a route of which weapon do I use best for that, which will do impact damage so that I can smash things more uh, more successfully than like trying to slice at it, and it teaches you how to play new stuff. And then... But even in that, there's still only a percentage chance you'll do it. So you have to do it multiple times and you just get better and better and better. And it just forces you into being a better player without ever going like, you're too shit, stop. It just constantly tantalizes you. I think it's like perfect. Uh, and I don't understand why other games don't do this. Um, you know, I've written whole articles on the beauty of Monster Hunter's loot system. Um, yeah. And that's one thing. That's to ignore the fact that it's like one of the best <laughs> animated games I've ever seen. It's one of the the most like satisfyingly in depth action games I've ever played. Uh, it's uh, like a perfect multiplayer experience. It's both relaxing and exhilarating. It's an incredible portable game that I desperately wish I could play on console as well because both of those things would work perfectly. And mm-hmm. if the NX has a Monster Hunter game, I will lose my shit. It will be the greatest. Um, yeah, I just. <laughs> I'm oh. sure. I'm sure it will. Actually, I know. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Obviously, with all these NX, um, not, I guess not rumors, almost confirmed rumors by from mm. Eurogamer and the uh, mock-up designs they made, playing Monster Hunter on that thing would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's very, I, very perfect. Like Monster Hunter, the idea of uh, like a Monster Hunter that I can play at home and a pl- and a Splatoon that I can play on the move are two of the most beautiful things I can think of in my m- life at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, Christ. Monster Hunter is just... It's just one of the most, like, pristine and fascinating and enthralling games. And I got... And when I started playing Generations, I was like, oh, it's... I had this thing of immediately going, okay, it's very similar. It, it does feel a bit like a stopgap, particularly with the reuse of, like, all the older games. Um and now I'm 40 hours in and I can't stop playing <laughs> and I can't stop thinking about it. And it's just, it's proof to me that they have, they've nailed something so perfectly that uh, to change it would be a problem, which is so rarely the case. It like there are things they could do to streamline it, certainly. Yeah. Um, but it's really funny you said that it. as well, because because it obviously there have been... Obviously, we're now in a thing where Monster Hunter is a big franchise, mm-hmm. but it's been a fr- it's a franchise that's been around since two thousand and four. Mm. You know, it was originally on the PlayStation Two. It didn't have multiplayer, which is yes. almost unthinkable now. Um, 
And it's this series that was notorious for being difficult and it had a control system that required many players to have this weird fucking velociraptor claw hand (laughs) movement. And not until now is it really nailed on the formula that makes it so good. Mm. And changing from that would be very difficult. Yeah, and um, I I also think what's sort of lovely about... it needs better tutorials. It needs better explanation for new players. But in this, in a strange way, in the same way that the game gently nudges you into learning without ever making it seem like it's telling you what to do, there's something quite beautiful. Like, I played Monster Hunter 3 and, and liked it enough. Uh, I found it really confusing and I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. And when Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate uh, came to review stages, I got lucky enough to get a copy early. Um, and so did a friend of mine. And he played a lot more Monster Hunter than me. And I, I think part of my reasoning for Monster Hunter 4 becoming my favourite game was the fact that I was playing along with someone who knew more than me. And he was kind of doing exactly the same thing. He was It's like this strange pedagogical thing where someone is telling you how to play, but it's all on you to do it right. Yeah. Um, and there's something so satisfying at... at being able to master that. And my, you know, when I talk to people about Monster Hunter, which is too much and I should stop, um, people <laughs> like, people ask, like, okay, so how, how do I get into this game? And essentially, my answer is you play with someone who already knows what they're doing. Because not only is that basically required because of how badly the game explains itself, it's also more fun. Like, it's just a better way to learn a game with someone else. And, the, yeah. and, I'm kind of okay now with the fact that it is quite bad at telling you what to do because because I do think that's the perfect way to play a game. It's um, sort of almost it almost kind of relies on you having friends to teach you. Yes. It, yeah. It it has a really good multiplayer system. Like it yeah. doesn't have this <laughs> a strangely Nintendo way of thinking. Obviously it's on a Nintendo handheld. A lot of Nintendo games have very obscure ways of matching up with players mm. or trying to get in. Monster Hunter 4 and Generations is not like that at all. You literally click a button, you can set the options you want for a lobby, and you can invite your friends list in. Like if you were playing like an Xbox 360 game or a PlayStation 4 game. Yeah. It's very, very good. And and then it kind of almost just expects you because you're allowed to choose from a whole range of different... Allow loads of people. And you can have like the highest ranked person or the lowest ranked person. It just allows so much freedom for people to play together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... uh, Yeah, it's... We haven't even talked about monsters. Like, the, the, <laughs> I know you've you've had this basic chat with someone more knowledgeable about the series than me. But like the 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 core beauty of Monster Hunter is that it's it's enemies. You know, the things you are hunting are as fascinating to like witness and learn yeah. as the systems you have to in- go with. The- like. The, the 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 thing I find about them is they're not... A lot of people get it in their head that they're bosses. Like, they're game mm. bosses. But they're not. They're like animals. And they yes. all have they all have animations. Like, the other day it hit me really hard when I was fighting a monster called the Legombi. Oh, God. So the Legombi's like a, kind of like a big squirrel bear thing. That... Just, I just think of it as a fat rabbit. But yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever essentially, works. It's, it's essentially a fat rabbit. And... It, it does this thing where it, it opens itself up really big mm. to look intimidating, and then like you'll hit it, and it'll sort of run away and cower in the corner, like like a small <laughs> rabbit. And it's just, I'm like, that is incredible. This is a 3ds game. Yeah, it almost put it like oozes like 
like personality and mm. each and how many monsters does it have like 85 or something it's like, something just, ludicrous yeah like a huge amount and they all are these spectacular special incredibly well-crafted like pieces of game system i don't know it's, it's just amazing and it's it's that thing of um the moment at which you in in the same way you're talking about the lagombi the moment at which you learn a monster and uh you always hear it described correctly it's just i'm pointing out that this isn't an original thought um it, it's always described as like the point at which you've learned a monster because it, it becomes a dance you know exactly how to do everything you need to do yeah. it's just a case of following the steps you've learned um and it becomes incredibly satisfying like so I struggled for ages. There is video evidence on IGN. There was a was short video ask, series I was, we did. I was going to ask you, how is your series going? <laughs> oh, well, we did We did four episodes. The point essentially was that I came in as an expert and was crap, um, which was <laughs> which was great to expose to the world. Um, but I, we, me and my colleague Alicia were um, struggling with the Great Macau, which is the first boss in the game. Yesterday, I hate the Great boss, Macau. Oh, he's well annoying. But he's so like, annoying. Yeah, and you know, I remember hours of struggle against this thing because I was rusty and Alicia was learning, and we, you know, we had to deal with this thing. Yesterday, I turned it on, used a brand new weapon I'd barely used, and I beat two of them at once. But because the way the game shows itself to you, because it's all, it's because it's there's no health bars, there's no, all you have is animation, so you're forced yeah. to learn every, like a shake of a tail might seem like just something to keep the game moving, but it is in fact a clue as to what move is going to come next. Mm-hmm. And that's unbelievable. Like, the the fact that you are subconsciously learning something in the same way that you'd learn, like, it's, it, it's doing what your brain does in everyday life as you get better at typing. You stop thinking about typing, but it's doing that for hunting fantastical beasts. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, you know, pattern-led boss battles are a thing that games have always done. But there's something more organic about Monster Hunter. The thing, the, the parameters can be switched by the place you're in, by even like the way monsters subtly change between like low rank, high rank, and G rank. They can start doing new things and acting in different ways based on their ferocity. Um, you can get small monsters who run away quicker. You can get bigger monsters that are harder to take down and will have longer to do more complex stuff. Um, it's it's fascinating just to be like the weird sort of fantasy zoologist in that game and just learn <laughs> everything and find out what how everything works and how they might work in that world um like i constantly because i'm thinking about monster hunter almost constantly uh there's something i, I get to the point where i'm like what would a tetsukabra be like just in a normal in downtime when there aren't like humans trying to take its face off and use Probably. its skull for a hat Probably an arsehole because the well, Tetsukabra, yeah. the Tetsukabra in both Monster Hunter Four and Generations, it like the Tetsukabra armor set is kind of like the best of the beginning armor set. I feel yeah, I agree actually. And it looks you basically look like a dragon scaled samurai, and yeah. who doesn't want to look like a dragon scaled samurai? It's pretty and cool. It's. <laughs> But it's this fucking aggressive bastard that constantly throws rocks at you or tries to headbutt you. Tusked frog. Yeah, and oh, he's just such an arsehole. Yeah. Going back to the whole dancing thing, I have danced way too many times with the Tetsukabra, and I'm still. I've got a whole Tetsukabra armor set apart from the waist because I just cannot get. 
You know the little Triceratops little bastards. Oh, Renaplus scalp. Yeah, That's yeah, the scalp. Need. And it's I got like a, I got that only yesterday. It it's fun. like a, it's like an eight percent drop or something. And I go in every time to fight the Tetsukabra just to get the scalp of these tiny little Triceratops. Oh, and man. then while I'm trying to like hunt the the little uh, Renoplos, the Tetsukabra is just like aggressively headbutting me all over the place. And Small I still. Tip. Still there's, can't get the scalp. What is it? Village, the Burner Village rank two quests. I think there's one that just kills Renaplus and you can get scalps oh, as a reward. Good. So. Well, I only got Hunter rank two today, so I haven't actually looked fully through those quests. I did the urgent quest for Hunter rank Oh, okay, one. right, right. Yeah, so yeah, I've yeah. only just got a list because I was doing the Jurassic Frontier gathering quest for Hunter rank one and I was like... Gotcha. They've got to be there somewhere, but there wasn't. So I was like, no. oh, I'm just going to have to keep doing the Tetsukabra quest. And it was the You'll same one for Hunter four as well. I hope yes. so. You're gonna you're gonna have to give me a hand, Joe. You, you oh man, we should play. It'd be amazing. I we just, should. Absolutely. But this is it. This is it. You just have a discussion with someone. You find out that they play Monster Hunter, and you can like. I spent a flight playing with a, another journalist that I barely knew once because we just happened to be playing at the same time, and it was just like, well, <laughs> it's obviously better to be playing with someone else, and it was just yeah. perfect. Like it's such a great thing. Um, and I know like there is the constant wish for a console version, uh, and I get that but i do think portability is part of its appeal that feeling of like well i can just quickly nip out and get some mushrooms on this commute Mm. which is like there's something really nice about that the way you can just time manage (laughs) by doing quests um uh, and man i would love to be in the midst of like what that game is in japan as compared to here um because obviously it's 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 a cultural phenomenon it's um there are Obviously, Japan has had this history of bringing out these huge franchises. Um, mm. Obviously, a lot of people think that the big franchises over here must be like Nintendo titles and that sound like Mario and Zelda. And obviously, they're huge, but they're just as big as, say, in the UK or America. Mm. But what's really big in Japan is there is... Obviously, smartphones are huge, but mm-hmm. currently, there are like th- three series that are just always huge. And one of them recently is Splatoon. Splatoon is massive mm. in Japan, like everywhere. Good. Something that's always been huge here is Dragon Quest, and Dragon Quest is literally every mother and his every mother, father, son, daughter knows what Dragon Quest is and has played Dragon Quest. Well, there's Have that you- urban, there's that urban myth, and I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's false. In fact, I'm almost positive it's false, but um, it kind of speaks to what this what that phenomenon means if even this myth exists that yeah. dragon quest is not allowed to be re- released on a weekday because it would destroy productivity in the country or something yeah yeah there is something behind that there is something behind that i'm not entirely sure if that story is true but there is mm. something about the government were interjecting about release dates at certain times like they were like if you're going to release it release it in the summer when all the kids are off or that sort of thing because oh, that's jokes that's brilliant I know, but the other thing is Monster Hunter, and in Japan they call it Monhan, mm. like Monhan, because Hunter is ha, hunt, Hanta, ha, like H-A-N, so Hanta. Right, gotcha. So mons, Monsuta Hanta, so they call it Monhan. And I teach English to lots of Japanese children here in Japan, and all of them, all the boys have Monster Hunter pencil cases. Man. Just all of them. Mad respect to a culture that uh, that goes for something so unbelievably complicated. Can you even imagine that happening well, in England? It's the, like, it's the thing in, in Monster Hunter is all like obviously it's showing off in a sense that you can get the best armor sets. Like I beat this mm. monster, look at my wicked armor set, look at my wicked weapon. But it's a game all about teamwork and it's all yeah. about cooperating together. And in Japan, the reason Splatoon is so big and the reason that Monster Hunter is so big are these games that 
take modern conventions like being competitive like who who's the ba- the badass who can beat the monster or mm. who can kill everyone on one team and they turn it into actually that doesn't matter you have to work together to win yeah and that's just it's, for some reason monster hunter provides that in abundance and it's just everywhere every time you go into a game shop here like the merchandise is all monster hunter keychains monster hunter figures monster hunter just monster hunter everything honestly that's cool as hell you go into like not like they have like a chain here called Maranaka, which is essentially like a Tesco's, mm-hmm. and like all the toys they'll have, all the like gachapon machines will be all Monster Hunter machines and all that kind of thing. <laughs> it it is, as you said, it is a cultural phenomenon. It's so huge, and I love that. Like that that seemed and, and like you say, the, the, I've been to Monster Hunter sort of community events where you kind of just band up with whoever's there with an ad hoc 3ds yeah. connection. Yeah. Um, but I just love I love the idea of just everyone doing that. Just you know, wherever you go, someone to play, someone to hunt with. That'd be so great. There was a the, where where I used to live in Japan before I moved. Um, there I used to go to a, like a big electronics chain called Bic Camera, and mm-hmm. in the game section there, you would always see at least one or two people sat playing Monster Hunter on their DSs in the store. That's great. Just every day, like, without fail. <laughs> Just there's always someone playing Monster Hunter somewhere in Japan. That's cool. Currently, though, it's Pokemon Go. As well, yes, yeah, of course. Every man and his dog is playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> That'll stop soon. It'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, Monster Hunter is just... It's just... It's great, isn't it? And yeah, like, pract- practically on an island, there is, you know... Well, firstly, I never got to G-Rank. I'd like to do that. I'd probably do that quite quickly. And then after that, it's just an endless search for better things, which is like, that's perfect. That's what I need. Excellent. Um, yeah, and it's satisfying, so I wouldn't go mad. That's good. Um, yeah. Well, man, we'll have Monster to Hunter's we'll have so to great. exchange 3DS friend codes. Oh yeah, this. great. So, <laughs> so so we can so you can help me get that final bit of Tetsuka. Absolutely, man. We should definitely do that. I'll we wear my Tetsuka armor just to show off at the same time. Oh, That'd be brilliant. God damn it. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to a. I guess this game was foreseen, considering your island choice. Oh yeah. And it's a series, as I said, I've not played for a very long time. So I'm kind of excited to hear you talk about it. Because I know some people who have stuck with the franchise really do truly love it. Even Mm. though it has this sort of stigma of being very rote and the same. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For obvious reasons. So we're going to listen to some music from this next game. And we're going to dive straight into it. game on your list joe is a game mm. that you've chosen um well the the virtual item you've chosen is not in this specific game though is it it's from uh, the series it, though 
it is in it is in the game, but it's not the starting stage like it used to be. Uh, okay. Um, but yes, uh, Dynasty Warriors <laughs> Eight, um, yes. which is the best ever Warriors game for a start. That's a good okay. thing. Um, and I have very high Warrior standards. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, Dynasty Warriors. This is again. This is part nostalgia. Dynasty Warriors is a series that I've played um, since since Dynasty Warriors 2, which is the first actual technical Dynasty Warriors game. The first one was a fighting game. Um, so it's a series that has almost never changed is, again, like fundamentally quite bad, um, but for some reason is it works on such a basic level for my brain that I find it more relaxing than almost any other game experience. Um, okay. If I if I'm at a loose end, the idea of playing Dynasty Warriors is just well. Until Monster Hunter came along, it was the thing that I it was the thing that I did when I was just had nothing to do because okay. it is such a basic thing. It is an action hack and slash game with very few moves, where essentially the interaction is you have to get from here to here, maybe with some detours for some sort of strategy business, uh, and in the midst of that. There are these sort of like human-shaped uh, vegetables that you just slice up forever, um, and and slowly numbers tick up, and you get rewarded for every hundred people you KO with a yeah. sword. Um, and uh, I just there's something so basic and so like just fascinatingly uh, soporific about it that I love. It just it's total relaxation um, in the midst of, you know, you know, it's one of the most horrific wars in Chinese history. Um, well, it isn't because I obviously the story of the Dynasty Warriors games really is so unimportant, I imagine. Um, and they always they always have the same characters. Like it's always the same. It's always the same story. To the, it's more to the point. It's um, it's it's, the, it's based the romance on of the, the Three Kingdoms, isn't it? Yeah, which yeah. is often referred to as like um, well, I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it, which is really bad. Um, but he's uh, it's a, a famous Chinese writer. It, mm. Well, obviously historical writer. His name is like Luau uh, Guanxiong. I think that's his name. Okay, and it, well, that's I, it. That, I can't pronounce go with Chinese it. at all. I, but I he, can pronounce Japanese so-so, but Chinese not at all. <laughs> but he's like often referred to as uh, China's Shakespeare, basically. Like this yes. is this is how widespread this writing is. It's just not familiar to a lot of Western people, um, and it's essentially like just a sort of made-up account of loads of old battles um, between like bastards who want to own China, and <laughs> it's really great. Like it, it's. Again, it's um, you know what it's closest to it, story-wise. It's basically Zelda, right? So every Zelda game is essentially the same thing, very slightly retold. That that's Dynasty Warriors. And ah, okay, it, I get you. I get you. It's, it's always they're always telling the same battle. They're always showing the same battles with essentially the same outcomes. Um, although a really nice thing that uh, Dynasty Warriors games do is that they include hypothetical scenarios where if you complete certain conditions, you get to play battles that didn't happen um, or ended in a different way, which I find really fascinating because they're essentially rewriting history for the sake of gameplay, which is quite fun. Um, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, every game is just retelling the same story, but they always make slight alterations to the order that they tell it in or where they start. Like, Because actually... To start at the Yellow Turban Rebellion in terms of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms is kind of in media res. Like you're you're skipping 
quite a large chunk of history to get to that, which is a bit odd. Um, it's just, I just find it fascinating. And I think that the kind of, the the intersection of that, like, constantly retold story and a, a combat system that is both satisfying and always the same um, really works for me. A thing also I love about Dynasty Warriors is that it eschews the idea of... Um, I don't get on with fighting games. I find them really quite dull. I don't have the, the pursuit of perfection in games, in MOBAs, fighting games, all of that stuff uh, doesn't interest me. I have no drive in me for self-improvement, which is, I yeah. think, also why Monster Hunter works for me, because it makes you self-improve without going, you need to be better. It just does it <laughs> um, naturally. Um, yeah. And what Omega Force do with Dynasty Warriors, which I think is like actually quite special and unique, is they don't go please master these people. What it does is goes, there are so many characters that as soon as you're bored of one, it doesn't matter. You just switch to another one and you'll have like basically the same inputs but with different effects. And you can do that, like what well, I think in Dynasty Warriors uh, 8 XL, I think they're up to about 90 characters. So fundamentally, you're never going to be bored because you're doing different... There's this thing where it's like, you're always doing the same thing. No, you're doing different small sets of things constantly which i find really fascinating i think that's a really cool way to design something is just to give you constant change um i think in like warriors orochi which is their crossover series it got up to like 120 characters and i just thought that was perfect like that's all i want <laughs> is just to constantly have new things to try out and and enjoy um yeah i just think like this, it's hard to say much more about Tennessee warriors because it is so basic and that is where the stigma comes comes from because it's it, <laughs> They're not so, trying to make something new. They're yeah. just trying to give you what more of what you want every time, which I'm totally fine with. So, I don't know about you, but um, there was a series called the Sengoku Basra series. Did you? Yes, ever, that I, did you I play that? never really played. I think I played one very briefly, but that's was that um, Capcom's take on it? Yeah. So yeah, that was on the hack and slash. Yeah, I forget it. It had a different English name. Like the PlayStation Two game had a different name. Yeah, I've only ever heard heard it referred to as Sengoku Basara, but I think you're right. Oh, it was called oh. it was called Devil Kings in the West, actually. Oh yes, yeah, it, and it had Oda Nobunaga on the front of it, and Sengoku Basara was essentially Capcom's version of Dynasty Warriors, and it took the idea of Romance of the Three Kingdoms and and then put it in the period of when Oda Nobunaga was the Japanese like mm. uh, shogun. Um, yes, and he was like, and I, I got fascinated by that, and there, there was an accompanying anime that was made, and I watched that, and then I got into really reading a lot about like all the various different because I like the idea of making historical people as characters, yes, and then and then going to read about them, and it's the same with Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Warriors has like like uh, Lu Bu and uh, like Zhao Lao, Zhang Lao, and mm. all these various historical people as well. Have you gone on to like read more into like the Romance of the Three Kingdoms and about all these historical? I have lords? done. I haven't done it for a few years, and I've never actually gone the whole hog and read the thing because it's fucking massive. Um, and, <laughs> mo and the fact that it's like mostly bullshit. Like he just makes up loads of stuff. Like, um, but it's um, <laughs> I, I, it is a re it's a really fascinating story. And actually, you mentioning Oda Nobunaga, another of my favorite. Um, slightly shitty Tecmo Koei series was um, Kesen, which was about yeah. the same thing. It was the strategy yeah. version, a strategy yeah. game based on that. And I loved that game. Um, and yeah, like 
it has I, I know more about Chinese history than I ever should because of Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> and if that's not like I I'm not getting anything out of fucking Super Mario Galaxy. Like that's never taught me anything. It like fundamentally ruined my f- ideas of physics. I don't know how gravity works <laughs> because of that game. And I've learned something out of Dynasty Warriors, so in many ways more beneficial. Um, <laughs> but um yeah, I just I I just think it's a really like fascinating series and, and particularly with the spin-offs like I mean Hyrule Warriors I think is fantastic um and a really really interesting spin on well, both of those series. I've recently um, been playing Dragon Quest Heroes 2. I've heard that that's quite good and I have not played it. Well, the first one is very good and that has been released in the West, but the second yeah. one has recently come out in Japan and doesn't have a planned release date. Um, oh right. But it's great. It's gorgeous and it does it just has that really, as you said, just that combat that is just incredibly satisfying. Mm. You're just hacking away at shit, and it 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 doesn't. Then obviously in Dragon Quest, there Dragon Quest monsters, you know, like the slimes and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's just so much fun. <laughs> it's just I've got, incredibly good fun. Because I've pushed my Dynasty Warriors agenda everywhere I've been. I've interviewed guys involved with the series a few times, and. Um, the the fascinating thing about Omega Force uh, and uh, Tecmo Koei, the way they make these games now, is that Omega Force make the the core series. So Dynasty Warriors, uh, I think they make Samurai Warriors as well, um, which is their uh, the Japanese focused uh, historical hack and slash games. Yeah. And they make Warriors Orochi, which is their big crossover series. Mm-hmm. They have a completely separate team with a separate producer that just makes Warriors spin offs. Like the guy just goes to franchises and says would you like a warriors game based on your franchise which is why we've got uh berserk musu coming out um yeah. why Hy- hyrule warriors exists uh, if one, i remember we've got the one piece ones as well the one piece um and there's oh, I mean, uh, there's a load of shit like the ken's rage one sucked uh oh, legends the, of arslan the, was the, bad the hakuto no ken one the fist of the north star one. yes yeah, I remember yeah. That as well. sorry ken's rage <laughs> that was the wrong thing uh, yeah fist of the north star ones um Oh, just like there's some real fucking dross that they've made. But <laughs> what I love in talking to him, because I kind of it wasn't quite as blunt as this, but my point was essentially, you know, like a lot of people, particularly in the West, think that what you do is sort of like hacky. Like it's this, that was a bad pun. That's not what I meant. But yeah, like <laughs> it, what you do is essentially is essentially just take a formula that you've already perfected and put a new skin on it. And he was kind of like. Well, yeah, of course we do, because what we have is a game format that people really like, and why wouldn't you take a thing you like and put it in a game formula that you like? And it kind of stumped me. I was like, well, yeah, all right then, <laughs> that's fine. I, I, I actually kind of turned me around. Like, yeah. even I was like, I'm sort of sick of the spin-offs, but actually, if you're a massive Ken's Rage fan, uh, fucking Fist of the North Star fan, yeah. like... Uh, the the game for me isn't a good warriors game but it's a it's basically a good, satisfying thing with the good, story you like it's it's a game where you get to play as ken uh, yeah. well kentaro kenshiro mm. like and you get to do out his like 100 fist moves on yeah. people and it doesn't matter that there's hundreds of other people like hundreds of enemies that just come out you you just get to do those moves and like recently i also played the attack on titan um, oh yeah muso game um which is coming out i think this month in the west oh, i, I, re- I recently played that and 
like the idea like the movement in attack on titan is very special the way they have the the, uh, the like, jetpacks and stuff, right? Yeah, so like it's ropes that shoot out like sideways, and they move in like a trilinear movement. Oh, so of it's, course, it's yes. not perfectly, it's not perfectly like, like it's not like a pendulum. It's not like not up and down. You know, you can move in sort of a three D space. It's all, it's really weird. Mm. But like doing that in a video game was always going to be really difficult. So why not just have a game where you perfect the movement and then just go around killing loads of titans in a yeah. very Muso kind of way? And it works. The game's not the best. It's really repetitive, but mm. it works. And the movement is incredible. That's it's cool. Really good. And yeah, I, I totally get his idea of why not taking a formula to different franchises and just having at it, essentially. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at, like, even... Um, we'll, again, we'll get onto this, but, like, Platinum, one of, I think, the greatest studios in the world, They even they can't make good licensed games. Like... <laughs> when they try and make bespoke licensed games, they inevitably are pretty crap. Um, so to take a working formula and reskin it, it might be the best way to make people happy with what they get. Um, yes, I think so. Uh, I, without game... un- unless you make a huge bespoke game, which is just never going to happen. Yeah, well, especially with a company like Koei, uh, like Techmo Koei, who yeah. are you know not the most financially <laughs> solvent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So actually, we're gonna, one of uh, yeah, go on. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I also forgot that one of my favorite um, like weird little anecdotes about the Warriors series is that uh, Dynasty Warriors particularly is so popular with female fans that the uh, Omega Force offices every Valentine's Day get flooded with chocolates for the characters. Um, <laughs> like people are just like ah, oh, Sang Liao. Of this, Xiao Dun, I love your one eye, um, which I think is beautiful. What a lovely thing! It wow, yeah. Well, just before we move on, then because we're we've still got two games to go. Mm. Um, which version of Dynasty Warriors Eight are you taking with you? Because there is there are, there's two versions, I believe. Three well, versions. Then, yeah, I think there's, there's three now. Um, there's Dynasty Warriors Eight. There's ex- yeah. Dynasty Warriors Eight Extreme Legends. Yes, which which they also did for seven, didn't they? Yes, I, I then, think they do that for most of them, to be honest. Okay, and then there's Empires. Yeah, fuck Empires. That's no good. Um, okay. I'm not into their like bad attempts at strategy. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's basically it's still fine, but uh, it would be Extreme Legends because it's essentially the base game, but on uh, a console consoles that can uh, actually render right. <laughs> more than nine characters on screen at once instead of just a weird fog. Um, which <laughs> they, I can't believe how long they went having... You took like sunny places in permanent fog with pop up. Um, I I find it hilarious. I love those guys. Absolute monsters. Um, but uh, yeah, so it would be Extreme Legends on like PS4 or whatever because there's slightly more characters, which again, as I say, is the most important part of a Dynasty Warriors game. That's the that's also mostly the problem with the spin-offs is that do they don't what? have enough characters to draw on. Do you know what? If I find it for cheap, I'm gonna get it. You've you've sold you should, me. man. You've it's sold great. Me, Joe. And I think and I think you've sold eight, me is the closest it's been to, like, an actually competent action game for a long time. Also, um, considering I've more than I've more than enjoyed, I've surprisingly been very happy with Hyrule Warriors, mm. um, the Attack on Titan game, and uh, Dragon Quest Heroes 1 yeah. and 2. I'm, I'm, if I find it for cheap, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. You've yes. sold me. I, I will. Good. I'll give it a shot. You'll go. learn all about Chinese history. It'll be great. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to move on to the, the, the company that you've sort of talked about a little bit already now. Yes. Uh, you've chosen a game which is one of my favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to listen to some music from this next game, and then we're going to go into your penultimate game. 
Yes. the second to last game on your list joe um we've sort of spoken (laughs) we've spoken very almost kind of fanboyish about some of the games on the the list um Mm. which is not something that people who like us who maybe have to talk about games professionally sometimes and unbiasedly get to do a lot of Mm. and and this is a game i could probably fanboy over forever (laughs) it's it's one of the biggest surprises i ever had the pleasure of playing it's a game as you said developed by platinum games one of the greatest developers out there right now Mm. directed by the one and only hideki kamiya i think i must go back now but i really honestly think kamiya has probably had the most games to appear on this show out of any director that would not surprise me um he's this a very is, special person <laughs> yes this is this is kind of bayonetta on this list is kind of a surrogate for hideki kamiya brawlers basically because yeah. i think he constantly makes near perfect action games like i came very close to replacing this with wonderful 101 which i think is criminally under uh undersung like Excellent i think game. that game's unbelievable and does the weirdest stuff um but anyway, we're not talking about that. Yeah, so we are talking about Bayonetta. Yes. The third-person action game developed by Platinum and published by Sega that was released for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation mm. 3. Although the PlayStation 3 version was rubbish. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> I think, I think, but, they, yeah. I think Platinum even talk joke about how shit that was now. It's so far past the point there of was having really, to apologise. I, I forget where it was, but there was a really good article that sort of investigated into why the PlayStation 3 port was so bad. Mm. And then... Um, there was like a, a few months before it was meant to be released. They they sent it off to somewhere to deal with it as a port, and they just did a shit job of it. Um, but I forget where the article was. But anyway, yes, Bayonetta is the second second to last game you're taking with you, and I'm not surprised because this game is excellent. <laughs> yes, I mean, like it's just what what can you even say? It's just it's such a it, it matches um, pure kind of action satisfaction that feeling of doing something well the the pleasure of a fight scene in a film that choreography like particularly martial arts films the sense of constantly being in the right place and doing the right thing and it's twisted just enough to allow you to perfect it but also to be difficult like it's pitched at just the right level where it will punish you if you're not good enough but as soon as you're doing even basic stuff you feel like like you are incredible um particularly witch time which is one of the most perfectly pitched mechanics of all time that a dodge that slows down time afterwards to to 
thank you for being good <laughs> um, or reward you for being good. Like, it's, yeah. it, I, I, I love games that um, give back when you do well. Uh, like what I'm really enjoying in Monster Hunter Generations at the moment is that there's a style called Adept, which is almost the same thing. Um, if you block perfectly or dodge perfectly, you get something out of it. It just goes, here you go, you're brilliant. Um, I, I think that's I think that's great. Uh, but it matches that with... Um, this is all tired stuff, but it matches that with a depth that is kind of hard to see at the start and then even harder to get to when you understand what's there. Um, the sheer number of weapons, It again, uh, this must be a Capcom thing. Like This must be just how they teach their game designers because every weapon changes how you play. The intersection of different weapons can completely alter like your approach in fights um, and, and force you to relearn how things work. And that's matched with like a hilariously weird story with one of the most, uh, like the gaudiest and most like satisfying and weird visual aesthetics. Um, like I, I, the first time you see like an angel thing, like this force of heaven that has a marble face that when you smash it enough reveals like pulsing grotesque organs underneath. Like <laughs> there's nothing else like it. It's incredible to look at. And and the sheer design on some of this stuff and like the that mixture of like uh renaissance beauty with like this disgusting underlayer um is like it's a lovely metaphor. It's brilliant to look at it makes for creatures that are interesting to fight like again like this is a running theme it's it's the intersection of all of these individual elements of design that feed into one another and yeah it fascinates me that that, that people are able to do this so so successfully and then Hideki Kamiya has has as a director has a sense of uh this is a, uh, actually again I think this is a point that um Matthew Castle made to me and it stuck with me he has this this mastery over pacing that so few games have. So many games indulge themselves in the idea that the base satisfaction of their mechanics is enough that you will want to keep doing it. Uh, it's something people bring up about Uncharted a lot. You get sections where they might look beautiful and you're doing fun stuff, but you're doing it for so long in one place that you get bored despite yourself. Yeah, um, Bayonetta uh, and many of Kamiya's games, I think Wonderful 101 has this as well, um, has a sense of when to just stop and just go, nope, that bit's over, move on to the next thing. And it keeps you rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and throwing in new stuff and then giving you... Uh, it will throw in a new enemy and it'll be one enemy and then it will throw three of them and then it will mix them in with some other people and you find yourself being forced into situations where you're learning and moving on and it's constantly giving you new challenges despite fundamentally being the same thing over and over again and then as soon as you're like i've got this it goes here's a boss it's completely different you'll have to like well there's the the boss early on which like suddenly can rewind time and change the environment um and you you've just never seen anything like this before and and then camille's like yeah fuck off let's go somewhere else uh and also another uh, fun intersection with other games on my list it also ends with you killing god um, this time by punching her into the sun. Yeah, she's wonderful. <laughs> uh, there's just there's too much to love about Bayonetta. It's an incredibly, it's it's such a strange game. It's it's a game that almost everything has a purpose in it. For 
even for the most minuscule moment um whether it's like a joke or like a piece of artwork or anything and something about being there as you said about pacing is it it just keeps ramping up as well Mm. in in almost the perfect curve as like from the beginning where you know you see the cutscenes of her like flashbacks and but you start out like fighting angels in a graveyard and what, what, well, that's after you've uh, mysteriously started on a flying, yeah. uh, endlessly plummeting <laughs> clock, yeah. which is and brilliant. It, and just being able to just start as it means to go on, and mm. it just ramps up to a, a climax where you punch a god into the sun. Yeah. And that, it just describes Bayonetta perfectly, but even in its downtimes when you go to like, you know, you go to like the bar to buy stuff off Ronin, and the music... Just the, the oh. really chill jazz music. So good. It brings you down, but doesn't stop you from feeling, like, pumped. Yeah, and it's like, it's a great sense of, uh, maybe this is too highfalutin, but it feels like those moments give you a sense of, again, what Bayonetta would be like off screen when you're not doing stuff with her. Like, she just kind of chills out in a bar and, like, yeah. chats and has a nice time and listens to jazz. And you're like... It's a really cool way of having an inner look at someone without being pompous about it. And I feel it's really weird because Bayonetta, obviously, as a character, is kind of, I would say, not as controversial as potentially she could be if she wasn't such a great character. Mm. The way she obviously is dressed, even, and it's funny people bring up this argument all the time, the person who designed Bayonetta is a woman and the mm. artist, be, the main artist behind Bayonetta, the game, and the, the idea of sexiness and this kind of stuff is... Is an is an idea that came from um, a woman, Mari Shimazaki, but Bayonetta is almost this person who's overcome the controversy. Like no one wants to sort of talk about Bayonetta in a bad light because she is such a great character. But She's surely just... that's, I mean, surely that's the point: is that when a yeah. character is good enough, it, it's like sexualization. We're not the people to talk about this because no. you know it doesn't affect yeah. us because we're no white exactly. Men. But <laughs> but um, like there is a sense, at least from my ill-educated perspective, that because her character is good enough, the sexualization is a part, like a facet of a wider character. It is not her. Like Bayonetta is not just a sex object, demonstrably by everything you do in that game and everything you hear from her. Um, that's that's why it works. Like it is a it's a you know, a, a, it's a piece of a character that makes her more interesting. Yeah. But she is this character who is extremely powerful and just constantly in control of everything. Mm. And you really, and because of that, you feel that as a player. Like, yeah. no no matter how big, how, like the bosses keep getting bigger and bigger in Bayonetta. It never, it never gets worryingly, like... In most games, obviously, bosses always get... They start off small and they get bigger to try and intimidate the player and also show the progress that you've made. Whereas mm. Bayonetta just seems that from the start, you could be anything. Yes. And and, <laughs> and you could. Because it, the game is built such that, like, you know, you will get upgrades and things, but essentially your base skills are good enough to beat the entire game with. Yeah. Um, which, again, is fascinating and a way of approaching things that so few people well, firstly, have the balls to do, and secondly, could do. I think there's there's just a sense that the team making this thing understand how to make something so perfect that it does not need to be anything more. And Absolutely. anything more is a bonus. Also worth pointing out, 
bayonetta includes uh, some of my favourite weapons ever, which is um, a pair of bazookas, one of which is inhabited by the tormented soul of a character from Apocalypse Now, which is <laughs> fucking mad. <laughs> so good. I love that so much. It's just such a great game, and uh, I just... It's funny, you've chosen all these games that are so easy to sort of just almost lounge back in the back of your chair and look up into the sky and just be like, yeah, they're, they're, yes. they're so good, <laughs> so perfect in almost every way. And Bayonetta is one of those, it's it's easily one of the best action games ever made. Like mm. The combat is just out of this world and just the animations in that game as well. Mm. How do you program that? How do, how do you how do you code the animations in Bayonetta? I don't. And not know. only that, make them conducive to fighting game. Like you know, yeah. a too big too big an animation flourish uh, would <sighs> could ruin the flow of combat, which is the most important thing. And yet it never does. And yet you get some of the most outlandish, you know, moves that you've ever seen. Uh, yeah, oh, it's just it's madness it's so good and like as a bayonetta <laughs> fan how do you feel about bayonetta 2 i really really like bayonetta 2 mm. i hold, i think it's almost coming back to the mario galaxy thing again yes where mario galaxy felt so pure and was so different and so new and bayonetta was like that we'd had devil may cry and devil mm-hmm. may cry 3 was pretty damn good devil may cry 1 was great devil may cry 2 not so great Devil May Cry 4 was pretty good too, but it kind of didn't evolve over time, whereas Bayonetta came out of nowhere, and the combat just almost blew Devil May Cry aside. It yes. took what Devil May Cry did really well, and then just, on, on like, Cameo was like, yeah, that's really good. Let's just take that and make it way better. Mm-hmm. And Bayonetta was perfect because I can't go back and play Devil May Cry because it doesn't have witch time. Like, yeah, I can see that. I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. It it does. It's like playing Bayonetta, but missing one of the most important elements that makes Bayonetta better. Mm. And Bayonetta Two is kind of like the Super Mario Galaxy Two. It's just as good. It's just as great. But it it, it wasn't the first one. It, yes, it wasn't as special. Actually, the- and I think Bayonetta Two is proof of Kamiya's mastery of pacing because Bayonetta Two does occasionally have sections that drag slightly and you go yeah oh right yeah well, like it can I, be the same game but there's something about the order of the fights and the was, frequency of them that is perfect there was something about the something i felt in bayonetta 2 that i didn't feel in bayonetta 1 was in bayonetta 2 fights didn't go on for as long as i wanted them to mm. i don't know whether that's because i got better or because fights were a little bit shorter because it yeah that's kind of felt a little easy whereas in bayonetta they were perfect like they, I didn't feel like I kept... I was like, oh, I want this to end so I can beat this section. But mm. whereas in Bayonetta, I wanted to practice combos or I wanted to like string loads of things together and play. Bayonetta 2 kind of felt short. But then again, Bayonetta 2 allowed me to fight as Bayonetta in a Zelda Link costume. So, oh my god. And a Metroid also, Prime suit. So. <laughs> but not only that, Bayonetta has two of... Uh, like some, two of the most unbelievable set pieces. Um they i know we're on the wrong game but i just want to talk about it now um the uh, the <laughs> section in which you are inside some sort of hell beast and um, yes. as you play like the room fills up with blood yeah and you're just playing in this like disgusting <laughs> pool of blood uh, that's, that's amazing that, that's when you fight like 
Bayonetta's uh, like zombie spirit butterfly madame things like other yes and you're fighting the lumen sage yeah uh, yeah yeah oh god that's so and good for, and, and for as much as you fight the lumen sage and people got pissed off at the fact that you had to fight the lumen sage multiple times oh it's great the lumen sage boss fights were fucking great yeah they, they, well, they, and, he's a cool boss to fight and actually to tie back to bayonetta one of one of my favorite things that it does like you said it does that ramping up ramping up getting bigger bosses getting more and more intense as these like these fucking cathedral-like heaven monstrosities it's beautiful <laughs> and then and then it gives you the fight against um Gian, and it's just another bayonetta and suddenly you're like i don't have to learn anything what i have to do is be able to beat myself uh, and and the challenge there is having learned how you fight well enough to know how you would fight yourself yeah and that is unbelievable like just incredible thought uh, and and a perfect a pitch perfect way of going okay you're good enough do it like how would you beat you if you're so good like i think that's amazing what a brilliant oh, little thing so good and then even then it allows you after the game ends to beat a, like a perfect version of your perfect self in rodan who is one of the most <laughs> well, yes who is one of the most difficult bosses of all time who I still shamingly have not beaten. I definitely haven't. Um, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, the other, actually, the other Bayonetta two set piece that I wanted to mention, just because yep. it's unbelievable, is the one where you're in like a giant tube of water, um, and you're fighting uh, this dude with like I can't remember exactly what he is, but he's got like a one or two big blades, and when you go into witch time, you're fighting in the void of water left behind in the wake of his strikes. Um, yes yeah. it's incredible just like fascinating thought go has gone into that uh like considering how shit water levels are it's like a joke <laughs> how good that is um yeah so good so so good it's, um yeah yeah and and what bayonetta has done for games after this you know you can feel its effects not only in what how platinum makes things now um which was always going to be the same because this is clearly Kamiya's love first yeah. and foremost. Um, but other action games have gotten better because, because of this. You know, like, you look at how uh, you, the Arkham games, uh, God of War, the way those things progressed, you can feel them learning how action games should be made based on Bayonetta. It's, it's, it is amazing what it's done for games as a whole. Bayonetta is kind of like I kind of see it in a way that like I do with Mario and other games that sort of define their genre. They're almost mm. genre ruiners, yeah, they, <laughs> yes, because they become almost like the pinnacle. Like it's really hard to call games perfection, and we have this thing about giving ten out of tens to games, um, because no game is perfect, obviously. But there are games that are almost there, and they are so good that other games do not come closer to them. That for a very long time until like maybe a new generation of games that do learn from it, as you said, no, it just feels like no point playing other games. They they ruin games that are similar to them because they're just not as good. Mm. Oh God! <laughs> People are just going to be like, "What are th- these guys?" <laughs> <laughs> no, it's showing boundless enthusiasm for the best things in the industry. It's fine. It's all well, good. As much as I could talk about Bayonetta for hours and hours, I think we should move on to your final game, Joe, which okay. is a game I've played maybe 10 minutes of um, b- 
because I'm really bad at these types of games. Well, so big I news. Was... So have I. <laughs> <laughs> That's a running theme here too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you embrace that dojo. I, lo- I yes. love that. Being bad at games is almost more fun. I'm starting to get back into Magic the Gathering right now. Oh, God, I love Magic. It's so and good. I absolutely adore it. And I, I was someone who... I'm going off topic here, but as someone who played Hearthstone religiously for a long time... Like, I played Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was younger and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I played Hearthstone religiously when it started. I got the legend, but being competitive and trying to be good was such a drain on the soul. But oh, with, God, with yeah. Magic, there is too much history and there are too many good players out there that I'll never be any good and being really bad at it is my really fun yeah well my my flatmate um is an incredibly seasoned magic player goes to tournaments and stuff Um, okay and so i'm constant whenever i try and play i'm constantly in the shadow of this thing where it's just (laughs) he will always be better than me because he not only like he he's cleverer than i am but he has more experience and more money um <laughs> so he can always be better than me but there's something quite satisfying about it because what i do in that case i just dip in enjoy what i get yep. and i have his help most and of the, the time and the small and victories and the small victories that you get sometimes mm. are incredibly satisfying yeah and just make it all the better but anyway besides that we should move on to your final game now let's so let's listen to some music and then let's talk about joe's final game So finally, Joe, we have come to the last game. Before we mm-hmm. cast you off to the world, I'm I'm not sure. I think you're the first guest to be excited about where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm cautiously excited. It cautiously might be terrible. Excited. Who knows? Yeah, but a good old big Chinese temple for you yes. to just to That'd call nice. you to call your own is pretty exactly. Cool. Yeah. Never going to have that in real life. No. <laughs> but the, the final game that you're going to be playing there. And essentially ruling your kingdoms from your your temple mm. is a game developed by the excellent strategy kings, Paradox. And it was released for Windows in 2012. It's the grand strategy game set in the Middle Ages, Crusader Kings 2. Yes. So in the same way that I essentially ruined the format and had nothing to say about Warzone 2100, this is the same for Crusader Kings 2. <laughs> I thought, like, what... What do I need on a desert island? And I need, all of these games are old old to me. You know, I have played all of them. Many of them, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of hours. What I need is a game that I tried to play for two hours and found so incredibly complex that I could never play it again and wrote off for the rest of my life. But 
in the situation of being on a desert island, this seems like the perfect solution. I'm a huge like when the game is right, I'm a more of an obsessive fan of this kind of strategy management game than almost anything else. But it happens so rarely because they're such assholes to try and learn. So yeah. I, I've put more time into Football Manager than any other series. I've put thousands of hours into Football Manager. Okay. Um, and Crusader Kings 2, um, the setup of it is absolutely all I want out of this kind of game. Um, it's grand management. It's it's the knowledge of, you know, tiny th- tiny changes, you know, on your end can make macro level changes to a world. Um, something There's something quite satisfying and fascinating about um, a game taking your decisions into its hands and then returning the results to you and you knowing that you have an effect on them but not quite knowing how it's been worked out and trying... Yeah. The game being trying to deal with that, um, and the, so the reason I initially loved the idea of Crusader Kings two was um, weirdly uh, medieval Total War, right? Uh, had this, and all the the Total War games have this to some extent, but for some reason this is the one that worked for me. It had this system of you were a king, and as you played, you had a family and and a load of generals, and they all had traits that would help or hinder them uh, in ruling or in battling and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in one game of Medieval Total War, one of my generals became uh, became the king through a set of like horrible circumstances, mainly by me being shit at the game, and <laughs> he was the most ill-suited man to rule whichever kingdom I was at the time. Uh, he was like a drunken, uh, like incestuous, just horrible fuck. He should <laughs> never have been in charge of anyone. And through this like catastrophic series of mistakes, he got catapulted to the top of the chain. Um, and I find that found that really fascinating. And I started trying to engineer the game into letting me create like a lineage of total bastard fuck up idiots. Um, and... That I suddenly wasn't interested in the battles. I was interested in like preserving this horrible dynasty I'd made. And Crusader Kings, as a pitch, like that's it's all about creating a ruling dynasty and yeah, it is using their traits to help you. And that is that's all I want. That's absolutely fascinating. That's the game I like desperately wish I could play. Oh, uh, I and I can't. can't. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. Like when I think of. I, I spoke to uh, Will Smith from Tested, well, of mm-hmm. Tested before, a couple of weeks ago, and he'd chosen Stellaris. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And obviously, brand new, very similar game, but this time, obviously, creating an empire in space. Mm. And I just, I love listening to people who are good at those games yes. talk about why they're so Absolutely. fascinating. And it's just these, I get so nerdy about deep, complex systems, but... My brain cannot overcome a wall where I can actually understand it myself. Mm. And like people are like, oh, what games do you wish you could be good at? Well, some people say, you know, Street Fighter. Some people say MOBAs. Some people want to be good at like FIFA. Mm. I wish I could be good at strategy games. I wish I could just... When I see people's games like you get like these Kotaku posts sometimes of like the the gamer who's played who's kept Crusader Kings on for three years nonstop. And he, mm. he has like... He basically rules the entire globe and has like a, an empire in every continent on the on the on the planet i want to be that person yeah it's I just like people want to be able those... to good at it 
Yeah, it's like people who tell those like beautiful, elegiac stories about their time with Dwarf Fortress. Um, and I just, I tried Dwarf... Again, Dwarf Fortress was a game I tried for two hours and just realised was so far beyond my level of understanding. Um, and that's why, like, this is why Crusader Kings is on my list. Like, it's not a game I have, like, hugely fond memories for, but I desperately want them. And yeah. in, if this was my situation, this is the ultimate practical game. Something that takes complete concentration and and a level of thought that i just don't have time to put into games some you know <laughs> this kind of thing is is too much for a a real person <laughs> that's harsh people play it um uh, for me um and- for someone who for someone who's trying to balance playing monster hunter and trying well, to play exactly. football manager, just there are people who can and I'm not one of those people. I almost play every new release I possibly can and mm. have a very short amount of hours in the day to do so. But there are some people who just dedicate themselves to like one genre of games and then specifically yeah. maybe one game. And fair play. I yes. wish I could do that sometimes. Absolutely. And this, so yeah, Island, perfect excuse to become really good at Crusader Kings because I'll have nothing else to do. Um, yeah, it's just like I, I really... And you're absolutely right. I think the storytelling aspect is what really gets me. The sense of, because the game does so much work, but you have to put in so much to get it, I think yeah. it, it doubles the effect of the story being told because because it was out of your hands, but you had a direct effect, it becomes really interesting. Like, um, even talking about Stellaris, I was talking to Matt Lees about that, um, and he had a game in which uh, he was... Um, a race of humans who were sort of like, uh, I think the best way to describe them, if you've watched Fireflies, they're like the Reavers. They're like these outworld humans who've sort of gone mad and changed the the makeup of what that means to be yeah. a human. And so they're like these ranging, like slave enslaving, conquering force. Um, but he he conquered because of how the systems interact that leads to really weird shit like he conquered a race of like mushroom people whose only <laughs> stated goal was to eliminate every other race but they were in, because of the consequences of what Matt had done they were enslaved by him so they had masters they'd sworn fealty to but all that happened was they just constantly sent him messages about how much they hated him and how much they were going to destroy <laughs> the culture despite being their slaves. Which, that's so funny. Like It is. That's, that's like procedural comedy. It's, that's brilliant. It's I amazing love that. because even with Crusader Kings 2, in my limited experience with it, I've played a little bit at home and I, I played it. Going back to it again, at that same Gamescom I played Dragon's Dogma, it was the first time I played Crusader Kings 2 as well when it was being wow. demoed. And obviously in a very short time, they have to kind of show you. So I just sort of skip through, like constantly just hammering the fast forward button and just keep going. And and the I, and even in that time when I wasn't really playing, I was just seeing what happened. Like I, I was a king who died of like, um, I think it was like my liver just broke from drinking. Then my son took over and then my son was killed by like his trusted advisor. And just in this short five minute period, this whole dynasty of king kings and their sons were murdered and killed and ruled and imagine that just on a bigger scale for like a year and the stories that could be created in that time i would love that just fascinates me yep that's what i want we should both pick up a steam version we should both play it at the same time and see where we get 
That sounds like a terrible idea. We'll either go mad or just be really depressed that we're still bad at it. Mad, <laughs> mad, mad with power, Joe. Mad with oh, power. Oh, well, that's true. That'd be nice. Um, yeah. So that's that's it. I, I think pre- that's sorry, a... I don't have more to say about it. That's fine. Honest, I think but... that's I think that's an absolutely perfect way to end this episode. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've managed to bookend this with two games that I barely know anything about, <laughs> and, in the, <laughs> and in the middle talk ex- expertly. And with such well. gr- fiery passion about the other games, which is... <laughs> yeah, expertly is not the word. Fiery passion, I'll take. That was, that's true. <laughs> which is exactly what this show is all about. I hope mm. that... Well, I, I have enjoyed this episode immensely, Good. Joe. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been, been fascinating. Such, it's been such a pleasure having you on and talking to you about these games that also... Because uh, we're uh, kind of around the same age, and these are kind of games we've both grown up with and sort of enjoyed, and we seem to have very similar tastes uh, yes. in video games. So we've the definitely best. come, yeah, <laughs> the best, the best taste <laughs> subjectively. <possible>. Yeah, <laughs> terrible gamers who want to be good at strategy games, but also then spit fire about how good Bayonetta and Mario is. I'll yeah. take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so thank you so much, Joe. But before I send you off to the wonderful mm. Yellow Turban Land. <laughs> I have to ask you, mm. if you were going to take one console with you, you can't have PC because you, okay. can, you emulate things on PC and you can pretty much play almost any console on PC these days. Mm-hmm. If you could take any console with you, bearing in mind the back catalog as well, you can take the whole back catalog with you. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take one console, what would it be? Oh, my God. Um, I mean... Everyone must just say 360 to this, right? Well, it's got you'd be the surprised. Most. Well, the PlayStation I, 2 as well. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and the Super Nintendo, if you include some. Yeah. If, like, the American back catalogue for the Super Nintendo is huge. You know, there's, like, a very good chance there. might say Wii U. Wow. Like, I'm thinking about it. Like, there are so many games on that that just make me just purely happy. Like, it's got Monster Hunter. It's got... Um, it's got Bayonetta. It's got Wonderful 101. It's, it's got, got Splatoon. Splatoon. Mario multiple Mario games. Smash. Smash. Oh, it might actually be that. Tech and Tag Tournament 2 on there. That could fit. That is. Um. Also, yeah. The, the, the weird um, edition where you can have the strange... What is it? You can have like a Pac-Man headed character or something. Oh, yeah. And there's yeah. like Super Mushroom mode. That's weird. Yes, there um, is. Yeah. <laughs> screw it. I'm going to say Wii U just because I'm contrarian bastard. Also actually includes uh, one of the games that I had to cut out from my list, which I'm going to talk about very briefly because I'm indulgent. Uh, Affordable Space Adventures, which is the best ever Wii U game that mostly no one played. It's um, an excellent multiplayer game. That's for sure. Oh, man. It's, fucking, it's amazing yeah. in all forms. Yeah. Um, it's yes. Really good game. Uh, so the Wii U. The I'm going to say the Wii U. The, Screw it. I'm I'm on board with you. I'm Excellent. I totally agree. I am one of those Wii U sympathizers. Oh man, I'm massive Wii U apologist. That that console is fantastic for it's the just price. Badly sold. I was saying, I was talking. Obviously, there's been all these Nintendo hot takes recently, thanks to the mm. NX. And obviously, people are talking about the Wii U, and a lot of people say, "Oh, the Wii U's in my cupboard. Oh, the Wii U's you know, collecting dust under my TV." Well, it's because you've not got the right games then. Because exactly. The, the Wii U, for the cost, because it's always been cheap. Like, maybe not when it came out, but I remember picking up my Wii U maybe three years ago now. My second Wii U. Picking up it three years ago, and it being like £190 with like five games. And oh, for so that good. price, and the games I got were like Super Mario 3D Land, Zelda Wind Waker, and like all these superb oh games. God. 
I am a Wii so U apologist. Good. I've I've maybe just lost like twenty listeners to this, but it doesn't matter. Well, that's right at the end of the episode. They all quit after I couldn't talk about Galaxy without sweating. <laughs> Joe, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you, man. Please tell the wonderful people where they can find more uh, about you uh, or what they should be checking out of yours, like the okay. series that you've just recently done. I write endless uh, reams of news for IGN.com. Um, that's a good place. I always, like... I try and put little jokes in my byline every time, so that's at least a reason to read things. Like, I'm so funny. And um, <laughs> I uh, I have a podcast called Chat Very Good, um, and I regularly appear on, oh God, so many other podcasts. Um, in fact, uh, I have a message from your boss. I have a what? Message, I have a message from Mr. Pesh Schneider. Oh my gosh. He said the IGN UK podcast was superb, but, oh. but you guys need to change your name because... You're too good to have such a generic name like IGN UK Podcast. We actually have this conversation quite a lot. Um, <laughs> it's something that could happen. Um, but, uh, oh yeah, and I guess if if you want like recent things that I've done, uh, I am on the latest episode of the Brilliant Regular Features Podcast. Um, such and... a superb podcast as well. Oh, good. And, um, oh fuck, I don't know. I just do stuff. Just follow me on Twitter and occasionally I'll post like... Uh, really bad things what's your twitter nice handle again it's what's your t- two plus two is joe that the the two bits are numbers i don't know why i did that it's crap radiohead reference um <laughs> and and simultaneously makes me sound like a complete egomaniac which i never meant um but yeah that's me yeah well thank you so much joe and thank you so much for listening and if you've gotten all the way to the end of this podcast which i imagine some of you have thanks to joe's fiery passion yes Thank you once again oh for God. listening to episode 27. Jesus, 27 episodes already. This is crazy. How um, many more have you got in the can at the moment? You're working, you keep talking to everyone. I am I have many, but it, it gets to a point where I have like a strong uh, like a strong list of people who have agreed to come on and there's a del- date solidified and then it gets to like the last one or two people. And then I start shitting myself <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that I've either spoken to everyone or the rest of the people I want on won't ever answer my email. <laughs> so oh. I'm sort of getting to that point now. So if you are listening to the show and you there are you have a famous uh, a famous I mean a favorite game personality or game person you would like to appear on the show, do message me or do message them, telling mm. them they should come on. Um, Badger them somehow i this podcast essentially only started in january yet we've had all these incredible guests so hopefully we can continue to do so i don't want to change from it being a weekly schedule um so let's keep getting good guests on <laughs> man get some get some dev more devs on that's the, yes. those are always the most fascinating things devs, like as much devs as are very much hard as, though because yeah. lots of devs are under nda not to talk about any games in any sort of opinionated ways so that oh, can damn. be unless it's Corporate like a senior, stooges yeah unless it's like a senior dev of an indie studio although i am kind of talking to some people who are excellent indie devs who are well-known people who might come on the show as well so oh, amazing yeah so let's hope so fingers crossed but yes thank you for listening to the 27th episode of the show Hopefully we can do 27 more. Uh, if you like the show, you can follow it on Twitter, at uh, Final Games Show. Uh, and you can also follow me. I talk about mostly the Wii U and Japan. Uh, yes. And also recently, Magic the Gathering, which is my new 
my my new thing, which I'm spending all my money on. Yeah, that is um, a dangerous obsession. Well, the worst part is I'm buying the paper cards, but I also signed up to Magic the Gathering online. Oh my god, online is like just so, so now it's the worst designed, most <laughs> addictive it's, thing in the world. Its UI is absolutely fucking abysmal. It's, and it's out- appalling. <laughs> I don't understand how they make so much money. <laughs> Yet. Somehow it works and I can play Magic, even though I'm stuck here in Japan. Uh, well, stuck here. I mean, I'm here in Japan. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's my current thing. So if you like Magic, or if you'd like to teach me more about Magic, because I'm incredibly rusty, uh, do so. Follow me at LiamBME. You can also email uh, uh, us at... Fi- I say us. I, I mean I. It's the still shadowy organization yeah. again. <laughs> Final games podcast at gmail.com. A lot of people have been emailing in, telling me their lists and all that kind of thing, um, which has been really cool. There was a Kotaku article about the show the other day. And I saw. Like, that was fantastic. There was like 600 comments of people all with their lists, which was mind-blowing. And- oh, you should do. if you. I mean, if you have like literally nothing else to do, you should collate like the eight games from that comment section that were most requested, and then you'd have like the world's top. The eight. world's top eight. Oh my That'd god! Brilliant. You're right. That is That'd a big really pool. Good. Of, that, that's a big pool of people as well. That'd be a cool like um, Christmas special or something. Yeah. Oh man, that's a really good idea. Thanks, Joe. I'm gonna steal that. That's all right. Thank you. <laughs> I might do that when I've got some more free time. Um. Yeah. yeah. So once again, this episode has gone on longer than you should be listening so (laughs) remember it's on soundcloud it's on itunes if you'd like to review the show please do so reviews do help surprisingly as joe will know as a podcast aficionado oh yeah you want the reviews they really help so if you do thank you so much and thank you so much for joining us for the 27th episode and i hope you'll be back next week for the 28th goodbye bye